This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in young people at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex, yeah, Shane? we got an episode to do. We do. <laughs> Let's do it. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 79. It's been a while, Alex. It's, what's been a while? Since we've potted. Oh, right, because we did last week's a little early. I guess we did a date night, so that's a lie, but it's yeah. still, it's our longest break between regular episodes. So for those listening, our longest break between regular episodes has been 10 days in yeah, the past two know, years. <laughs> we like we like potting. It's it's fun. It's a form of therapy for us. Big and, time. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be in it. Who's, who's on this week's show? I've almost forgotten. So we have two amazing and super, super knowledgeable guests today. So first up, we have Erica Frazier. Erica is an author. She's a time management expert, a professional organizer, a professional marketer. She is the mom break on Instagram, which is where you might know her. And she's the host of the mom break podcast. So she's everywhere. She's doing everything. And she is so knowledgeable in lots of different fields. But we talked to her about motherhood, about misconceptions that we kind of face as parents about breastfeeding. She's got a fascinating breastfeeding story. And, and she's the real deal, you know? She's the real deal. She wasn't afraid to tell us things that I feel like she never told anyone before. We got a hot scoop, I'd say, Did with we, her. <laughs> <laughs> every time, literally every time I say something, you will up the ante to a way that's borderline alive. Sorry. <laughs> What's the hot scoop, Alex? The hot scoop is... The way she gets her kids to fall asleep on date nights, babe. Oh, I don't know if we can keep that. Well, we? yeah, we keep okay. it. All right. I've read that online before. Okay, you can. I was a little scared when she when she said that. I was like, whoa, like, I didn't know we were allowed to do that. Now I have to begin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, our conversation with Erica was, you know, just about how we want to reframe motherhood and things like that in parenthood. And it's really great. She's in it just like we are. And it's it's a fascinating conversation. So... And then who else we have? We've got Millie Gooch coming up. Oh, so Millie Gooch. is. I, I just love the, saying that name. Right? She's well, the doesn't sweetest. Doesn't it mean something though? She was saying Gooch means something. Gooch is a <laughs> slang term for the perineum. Oh. Yeah. Perineum sounds so proper. Yeah, well, it is proper. It's I guess a that's why they term. had to gooch it up. Although I still stand by the fact that gooch is an awesome last name. I think it's awesome too. And I think it's fun to say. And Millie was the sweetest person. So I found her account late at night once. And I was so happy. It was like during one of my breastfeeding sessions. And she is the founder of the Sober Girl Society, which is, you know, a big group on Instagram. And she's the author of the Sober Girl Society Handbook. So with Millie, we talk about drinking. We talk about not drinking. We talk about being sober curious quote unquote her experience with alcohol and you know fun alternatives to drinking yeah and it's very fitting that we have a couple of seed lip beverages in front of us right now heck yeah shane cheers so this is a special one all right so it was my birthday last week last saturday 
week uh, ago today. Sorry to bring my birthday up again, but <laughs> we've been celebrating it every day. I'm not exaggerating. Every day we've been celebrating. Okay, it. listen. Anyhow, Seedlip sent us this beautiful package. They did a partnership with Dolly Trolley and with a coffee company, and they sent me the ingredients to make this drink called the Cold Brew Highball. So what it is, it's Seedlip, uh, Spice 94, Sweet Vermouth, Cardamom, and Caramel Syrup. This and is then, the most delicious thing in the world. So here's the thing. Tonight, we already drank the cold brew coffee and stuff, so I didn't even put in the, the sweet vermouth. We're drinking uh, Seedlip Spice 94, cardamom and caramel syrup, which is amazing. Is there alcohol in this? No. Wow. Because there was alcohol in the highball, right? There was, but not in this one. And this one just has a little um, club soda to top it all off. But isn't Have that syrup amazing? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. This well, I was is... sipping it while I was making them, and I couldn't stop. Yeah, definitely top five seedlip beverages we've had. We gotta hook people up with this recipe. Okay, but shall we? Shall we begin this? Let's do it, Shane. My opening segments, which people have come to love. Yeah, I love them. I'm excited to hear what you got. First of all, I want to thank everyone who reached out to me regarding my mom's cancer diagnosis. Very shocked that like people I went, I grew up playing basketball with. Yeah message me people without children <laughs> this one guy yeah i played rep basketball with him he has no children i don't even think he's in a relationship he sends me a message he's like <laughs> hey man heard about your mom i'm like what i'm like he's like i listen to the podcast and then in brackets he put yes every week he goes you got to keep up with people you grew up with Aww. and i was just so touched by that message um so i wanted to thank people for that and it's making me emotional thinking about that but yeah i, th- I think i'm accepting it more and trying to look at the the benefits of cancer as weird as that is to say because so many people and i've had friends who've lost lost their parents without notice Mm -hmm. so when you get the opportunity to kind of appreciate the time you have left and say goodbye and you know i'm gonna try to squeeze in a lifetime of phone calls and hangouts in this presumably short period i have and you know, for my mom, I can't imagine how she feels, but in a way, she gets to do things that she always wanted to, mm-hmm. to do. Not that, you know, I'm not saying this is ideal by any means, but there is a weird silver lining to it, the way I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of it in a way. Do you know if there's anything that she kind of has lined up that she is really wanting to do like when she's up for because I know she's going through chemo right now so she just finished her first week of chemo and I think she does a couple weeks on and then she gets to take a break for a few weeks and goes back on it but do you know if there's anything she wants to do when her energy is back up see that's a good question because my mom's a very simple person mm-hmm. I, I think maybe watch like the dvd set of i love lucy or something <laughs> that's like, a good choice why the hell not i don't yeah. know yeah she she still like loves cleaning <laughs> so she's like even before she went for chemo she's like oh brad's been cleaning the dust for me and that just means so much and i'm like oh my wow dust would be the last thing on my mind but old habits you know they die hard and my mom is very like she doesn't care about traveling really mm-hmm. she hates going on planes yep she likes TV, watching TV. Well, she likes cake. We sent her some cakes today, which I hope oh, she Oh, yeah. She likes enjoyed. eating. She loves food. and. Uh, but sweets. Like, she's got the the biggest sweet tooth of anybody that I know. Like, she mm-hmm. she has some like a, an actual dessert every single day, like at lunchtime. Yeah. And I've never seen anybody <laughs> do that. Like, she will have, like, a piece of cake or a pecan tart or something every single day. Yeah. At lunchtime, and from what I understand, she's been doing this for 
decades her whole life yeah well i gotta say so i i don't know if this was on our list of things to do but her and your sister went and spent you know last weekend away when you and i were out of town they spent the weekend in like some kind of b&b type thing just kind of like a staycation and they were posting some saucy pictures on the internet did you see those no i didn't i guess there's nothing to lose my mom can't get canceled or anything right now yes <laughs> canceled <laughs> You have cancer and you're canceled. <laughs> um, you two terrible pieces of news to get. Two terrible C words. Okay. But we we went on an Airbnb, a trip for yeah. your birthday. For my B-Day, yeah. What, what did you think? Did you have a good time? We were without Lucy. We went just with Betty. Yeah. So Betty sucked at nighttime, but she was great all day. You know, during the day, she was such a good traveling companion, traveling baby. And I just had, babe, I had the greatest freaking time ever. And this was a question somebody asked me too for the later segment. We'll get into it now. I had the best time. It was so effortless. Everything we did on that trip was so effortless. Like we never had to second guess things. We were both always just so down for whatever. Decision making was easy. And even if there was a little kink in our plan, you know, we'd, we just work things out. You and I got along fabulously and just everything came so naturally. Yeah, the only kinks were in the evenings. (laughs) 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 I did forget a leather whip there, but that's a story for another day. Um, But yeah, we were going for walks in the morning and I'd never gone for a walk with Betty. I I don't remember a time ever really. I was alone with Betty, just me and her. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I, I went for like a two and a half hour stroll before you had even woken up. Oh, and it was, was it was best. awesome. The weather kicked in amazing. Oh, the weather was beautiful. We did a whiskey flight. I, I had only thought there was beer flights before this. And turns out you can have a flight of whiskey. So we're learning about weird Japanese whiskeys and whiskeys from around the world and getting a, a nice buzz. And We ate so much freaking food. So because we did everything takeout and all the restaurants up there, like there's some beautiful restaurants and they do like they're really big into cocktails up there as well and like really beautiful wines like whiskeys like Shane said and just cocktails so every restaurant would just give you everything to go and I know like we're used to that in the city but there was something extra fancy about it yeah up there well, well I, that's where we found out about Seedlip uh, yeah, about yeah. before COVID struck in February we were up at, at one of these fancy restaurants and there was a mixologist because you were pregnant it was and, this time last year exactly because it was my no birthday. it was February it was before oh, COVID right. struck crap yeah yeah and you had gotten this amazing Seedlip co- cocktail, and then we both got hooked on it in a mm. weird way. But sorry, continue. No, I was just like, everything is just so fancy because they take so much pride in their food and their drink up there, especially while everything is shut down for COVID, right? Mm. So Shane and I would just, like, we were eating so much. We'd go to this little Italian bakery, and we'd get, like, a ton, of, I don't know, six pastries every day takeout. Me, you would just, I'd be like, order what you want. And then I'd be, <laughs> I'd be listening to this order. You're like... Three bambolinos. Uh, yeah, the mushroom pizza that I'm never going to eat. And, ooh, let's get these weird like cocoa dust and all this stuff. I looked at the bill. I was like, 80 bucks for lunch? And then sure enough, obviously all the stuff just goes stale. Cause you, not because it's bad, but because you can't possibly eat it. We did a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah, we did. But when I think about, remember I was saying you're one of those people who you... 
you're kind of cheap, but in certain ways you'll waste money. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, name some ways. And I, I can only think of two. Another way is with food. If you mm. get you behind a counter, your eyes get so big, mm-hmm. you'll just pick so much stuff that you could never possibly finish it. Well, food is so worth it to me because, first of all, you, if you need eat it. it, it is. It's sustenance. Number you two. You don't need it all, though. I ate so much of it, Shane. So if we could please tell them, I would not let that tiramisu go to waste. And I mean, if you even took a bite, that was wasting it. It was the best damn tiramisu I had had in my life. I don't even remember the tiramisu. Oh, you! <laughs> oh, the reason I don't remember it is... You tried there, to block it out. There was a tub of... <laughs> well, it was a big jar, I'll say. And I thought, oh, Alex and I are going to split this dessert. And you are very sharing when you eat. Of when course. you eat anything, you share. You gave me like this little spoonful. I come back to eat the rest of my half and it's gone. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, oh, I, I made a terrible mistake, Shane. I, I might have to go to bed. I don't know if I'm feeling well. It's like 7 p.m. I'm like, oh, in my mind, the night's getting started. Like Betty's in bed. You're like, nope. I got to sit out. I might need to go rest or have a bath or something. It was awful. And it was like an hour of that tummy grumbling. I know. <laughs> and then you went upstairs and did something. But you came back downstairs and uh, felt a lot, uh, I don't know, lighter on your feet. Yeah, it was lighter <laughs> on my feet. Yeah, you know, the body has ways of taking care of itself. That happened. I felt so much better. But it was the best tiramisu of my life. And I have been thinking about it. Is this weird? I've been thinking about it at least once a day and wanting it back in my mouth. Like, I've been like fantasizing about this mm-hmm. tiramisu. We, got, we brought the projector out there. Oh, so much fun. And I was frustrated because I didn't have the cord to work the projector, but I ended up finding it at a, they had a source out there, but it, <laughs> it looked a little sketchy because it said the word, it said the source, but it was on a printed piece of computer paper. And I'm it like, was just taped to the yeah. window. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how official that is. Is this a real source? But they did have the part I wanted. That's the best. Yeah. And Shane hooked up this awesome. So we play this fun Sega Genesis game called Golden Axe. Like there's Golden Axe 1, Golden Axe 2, Golden Axe 3. So we played Golden Axe 3 one night. Which is and the best one in my opinion. It's the best one. We also watched Fellini's 8.5. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There probably is, but I don't think what, so. What, Fellini's 8.5? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, every time I watch that movie, I'm not really watching it. It's more of a background movie that mm-hmm. I find oh, awesome. So cool. And one day, and the, the day's never today. It's always one day. <laughs> I'm going to watch it and actually pay attention and absorb it the way it was meant to be. But Eventually. As is. It's just amazing. You throw it on, especially on a projector. Something oh. about projecting a film is just a fun party vibe to have cocktails. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of the most perfect nights, I think. It was, it, Shane... Okay, I, I'm glad you said that, and I want to know how you actually, like, if that's actually how you feel, because I think that was one of my favorite nights of our entire relationship. Like, I mm-hmm. loved that night. That was, like, one of the best nights ever. Yeah, it was, it was so nice and so relaxing. relaxing. And we were buzzed, but we weren't drunk in an annoying way no you know? yeah it was it was a great feeling and uh it was wonderful it was just the best yeah it yeah. was the best and we it was funny because we were both so exhausted and so ready for bed by the end of the night so like, we had a full day doing stuff and we were just feeling so like cozy after the movies and like cuddling on the couch so we go up and we're like oh gonna be the best sleep ever and then of course betty just she slept for an hour and a half that night 
And so that was that was brutal. That was a tough night. But when you don't have to do anything really the next morning, it's not as bad. No, it makes it easier. Yeah, because you had to drive, not me. So for me, it was <laughs> it was fine because Alex does all the driving in this relationship. But I am the terrible navigator off to the side. So. You're okay. Well, we, yeah, I guess we only missed a few exits. <laughs> you get us places most of the time. Yeah, with just a couple of accidental detours. Mm. Okay, we actually went viral. We and I want to talk about that. Because yeah. I say viral, oh, I want to go viral. And sometimes I'll actually claim to have gone viral. But this was the first time in my life I'd actually gone viral. For the people wondering the definition of viral, and I looked it up here, it says a few years ago, a video could be considered viral if it hit a million views. Now there's a more stringent definition. And that is a video that gets more than 5 million views in a three to seven day period, which we did. We did. And, and the video, unfortunately for Lucy, was <laughs> it, it's like you daydreaming while drinking a coffee. This is on TikTok, by the way. You're daydreaming. And then the text says, thinking about how weird my child looked when she was a newborn yeah and then it cuts to all these photos of of lucy looking like a weird newborn yeah you know she she was very bald and she looked like an accountant named merv and it ended up getting 7.5 million views <laughs> and i couldn't be happier <laughs> well it's so funny because here's the thing all newborns look so weird but when they come out right when you when you see your kid for the first time, you're just in tears. You're in this like land of bliss and you're like, oh my God, all babies are ugly, but mine is somehow beautiful. And you're in this like just total phase and you have the baby rose colored glasses on and it's just, it takes a little while. And then when they're a little bit older and they actually kind of come into themselves and they look like you know, the babies that they are. You look back on the newborn photos no, and you're like, oh, come on, Alex. What? We knew Lou looked a little bit different, even by baby Yeah, but standards. she was still so adorable. She and was. I still thought she was oh, super beautiful. I I agreed. I, but she was undeniably weird looking. And we, I think I'm weird looking. But I also think, hey, I look cool. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're kind of weird looking Thank in you. a very beautiful way. So, but I was definitely like, oh. I bet you there's people making fun of the way our daughter looks. <laughs> and there's a video of us just looking at Lou. And I'm like crying because I'm so happy. And I'm laughing because I'm so happy. And we're, you're just holding your neck and you're kind of trembling. Because <laughs> we're laughing. And we're in disbelief that, oh my goodness, we have a child. This is how our child looks. And we're like, it's this great moment where we're <laughs> laughing at her, but almost with, with her. her too, yeah. Because I know she would be laughing if she could see herself. And... There was a very small contingent, and there always has to be mm -hmm. this contingent anytime a video goes viral, that they just hate the view. And it was like, imagine saying your baby was ugly, which, by the way, we didn't say. And it's like, show me a person, one person. I want to meet this person who's mad that their parents said they were ugly when they were a baby. <laughs> and not even a baby, who, a newborn, fresh would, out of the vagina. It's impossible. There's no one that would ever get mad at that. A two-year-old <laughs> wouldn't get mad at that. I've shown Lucy the video. No one's getting mad at that. So honestly, if you're thinking that, I'm sorry, but no. And here's, it was the way that she was sitting too, like she was all crunched up and squished. We do not need squished. to justify it. Like it there's, <laughs> there's so many things that we need to justify. Like, But honestly, it was such a fun ride to see the views go up mm -hmm. and up. And then a couple days later, we get another video, not quite viral, but 4.1 million views. It's uh, Almost us, viral. Almost viral. Us commenting on the Moana. There was this 
film called Moana, which is Lucy's arguably her favorite movie besides Raya, maybe. And there's this woman, Mama. No, Grandma Tala. And Grandma Tala is voiced by Rachel House, who is an, an actress. And I think she's even an opera singer. She's been in a ton of movies. Like she was in Thor Ragnarok. I, I don't watch those movies, but I know that's a big one. She played Topaz. Okay. You know, she is a gem a legend whatever in her own right however a gem a legend a gem a legend oh, a comma gem. you you can't say gem and then immediately end a gem a legend okay gem comma legend uh but she's only 49 years old and she is playing grandma tala who is an elderly woman she's so yeah. old she dies in moana so she's putting on an affectation to her voice yes an old lady voice and shane has said many times that Grandma Tala sounds like Adam Sandler, because there's this part when she's like, uh, "Can you hear the whisper <laughs> inside?" And it's just like, you know, it sounds like Adam Sandler, and obviously people wanted to take offense <laughs> of that, like I was being offensive. But when I say someone sounds like, I don't mean identical. I mean similar to. I have a friend who I think looks like Brad Pitt. This friend is not attractive. You know, you can be the beautiful voiced version of someone and then you can be the person who sounds like that beautiful voiced person, but who does not have a beautiful voice. And it's like, people say I look like Dax Shepard, but no one's ever like, hey Dax, when I'm crossing the street because it's not identical. Speaking of people that people say you look like, there was a comment on TikTok today which made me laugh. A guy commented about you. He goes, he looks like John Wick from Wish. You know Wish? It's no. like that ordering site where everything is $3 and it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like the worst version of Walmart. So I told him, I said, John Wick wishes. Oh, that's mm, good. Which yeah. video was this? I forget. The side part? I don't know. We got so many viral vids right now, babe. Well, I'm curious which one it was. No, I forget. I think it's the one where you and I are giving relationship advice. Yeah, that one got popular too. But someone else DM'd me saying I look like Diener from (laughs) FUBAR, which... Terry Cat... What's his name? I can find his name. I don't know, but I personally don't take offense to that because I always found Diener attractive. And FUBAR is one of your favorite movies. So anytime we watch it, and I never told you this, but I'm always like, what do you think of Diener, eh? And you're like, oh, he's, he's so gross. He grosses me out. I find him disgusting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. But Diener's uh, better looking than the other guy, right? And you're like, no, Diener's the worst. <laughs> Paul Spence plays Diener. And here's I the thing. really feel like I look like Diener. <laughs> you don't, okay. And I'm flattered by it. I need people to look this up. If you've never seen FUBAR, in Definitely, if you don't live in Canada, you probably haven't seen it. I bet there's only a small contingent of Canadians who have seen this. But look up FUBAR and you'll see the guy with the dark hair. His name's Dean Murdoch. Shane doesn't look like him. Other than the brown hair and the stash, you don't look anything alike. But... I look like Diener, I'm telling you. Whatever. He's a great actor and he makes the character like super gross. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Lastly, we had Lou being looked after by Nona while we were gone. And Nona she, and my parents did a little splitsies. Yeah. But this was the first time Nona had ever been alone with Lucy. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that can be considered a, a large responsibility. And if things go awry, I think there's pressure to kind of play it cool. Yes, I agree. So, so we had a we had a phone call. <laughs> I did 
didn't know where with, you were going with this. We had a phone call now. with Nona. We were driving. And we're, every time we call Nona, we ask her how things are going. And she always says things are going good. You know, because in Nona, by the way, she rolls with the punches. And she's a happy-go-lucky mm-hmm. person, much in the same way Alex is. And we're like, so how are things today? And she's like, oh, our Lou is so funny. We're like, oh, funny how? Today at nap time, she pulled poop out of her diaper and put it on top of the crib we're like yeah right so what wait what yeah she pulled a poop out of her diaper and in her hand with her bare hand and put it on top of the like uh, put on like the crib railing yeah we're like, <laughs> and she's just like our lucy and we're like we're like what she and i are looking at each other in the car like we're starting to panic and we're like looking at each other as if to say and we're like is it is all she over? serious we're like how are her stuffed animals and she's like oh they're fine <laughs> like how could that be it must have been the cleanest turd ever oh i guess so yeah she just must have taken a log put it there and then started like yelling one. for help yeah because I, I couldn't imagine it being really mushy oh my god that's gonna make me vomit just thinking about that mm. Back to yeah, I, I just thought it was funny like when you're trying to play because to me it's so gross and, and alarming and uh, well if that happened to me I was thinking if that happened to me and you were at work or you were working in the other room or something and I had to deal with it I'd call you on the phone or I'd bust in your home office I'd be like Shane Shane you want to guess what happened Lucy just pulled a turd from her butt and put it on the crib like I'd be freaking out from her butt <laughs> I like this character you are. <laughs> Thank Just you. the way you say butts. <laughs> all right, but I, that's all I have for my opening. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's great. Well, before we get to our interview with Erica Frazier, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. Alex, tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by my favorite bras in the world, whether our I'm nursing, favorite bras. our favorite, whether I'm nursing, whether I'm not nursing, and I'm just sitting there with my boobs in a bra. This is, of course, Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs truly makes the most comfortable bras I've ever put on and the most user-friendly nursing bras. I can barely work half of those things. I can hardly work any bras, but anytime <laughs> Alex asks me for a hand, I am happy to help because I never look like a fool fumbling around with a hard-to-use bra. <laughs> they have recently come out with an everyday collection. So, you know, I got introduced to them through their nursing selection and they still have the best nursing bras, but their everyday collection, they do not have clips. So you can wear them no matter where you are in life whether you're nursing whether you're not they're just they're great now i have a question no clips does that mean it's velcro no that means you don't unhook these straps to like pull it down to get your boob out for a nursing baby oh, i'm sorry for the dumb question <laughs> you're excused but you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you could head to the canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com and regardless of which website you go to use the promo code this family tree 20 for 20 percent off again that's bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com and this family tree 20 okay but now let's get to our interview with erica frazier Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. So, of course, you are the author of Mom Break. You do the Mom Break podcast. And as somebody who is putting your life out there, what is something that people assume about you that is not true? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I I put so much out there. It took a while to get my in-laws and family to realize that I'm just an overshare. And it's just... (laughs) When I was a young kid, it was a horrible, horrible curse that I got picked on. And now with the world of social media, it's like this crazy blessing and everyone thinks I'm hilarious. I'm like, no, I just have no filter. So I'm just rolling with it. (laughs) But 
I think the one thing people assume is because I share so much, they see what I do, but they don't see what I don't do. So they assume that because I'm sharing so many details that I'm the most, I mean, I'm quite a productive person, but I'm doing all of the things and I'm, you know, accomplishing all the stuff on the lists and I'm so over the top doing everything nicely, but it's like, you can like you can only show so much that there's still like a messy pile of laundry in every single room. <laughs> and there's like dirty. I mean, so for this interview, I tucked all my dirty dishes under my desk because like, just in case I don't want them to be in the camera shot. Yeah, it's fine. Now I'm clean and organized, but there's like piles of dirty dishes under my desk. Oh, we did the exact same. Yeah. It's the broadcasting one I want. Yeah, 100%. Now, you being a person that does share a lot of your life, do you find that maybe you're getting a lot of people sharing more of their life with you and maybe an unwelcome way? <laughs> yeah, my 2021 is the year of boundaries for Erica. <laughs> Um, I'm sure you guys are the same, but it's, yeah. um, it's a really nice thing because then people can't know that they can relate to some of the similar struggles that we have as parents with young children like you guys. And it's really lovely that people feel comfortable enough to tell me all of their deepest, darkest secrets. But the amount of like pregnancy announcements that people tell me when they're like four weeks along, don't tell anybody. Like, I don't even know who you are. Like I couldn't if I tried. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a really weird world that we're living in right now. And there's a, a lot of secrets for a long time. I got a lot of people talking about like affairs with their partners and how much they hated their partner. I'm like, huh? Okay. Wow. I need to work. I need, yeah. 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 That's yeah. Heavy. yeah. DMs. Yeah. And I am not by any means a therapist. I, it's funny. My podcast intro is that I am not a therapist. I've just been to a lot of therapy so I can, you know, break my own journey into the world, but I'm not equipped to deal with your affairs and struggles with your life. I'll try. I'll be nice and I'll smile and I'll most likely DM you back, but it's open to floodgate for sure. Boundaries 2021. <laughs> now, what about people sharing their disapproval with you? Because a big part of your account is demystifying shame. So a part of that is sharing things that other moms might deem shameful, but you're trying to say, hey, look, I, I don't shower every day, whatever. You're, you're showing things on your account that are less than ideal. Do you get hate for that? Oh yeah, every day. Actually, not so much now because I think in the world and the moment that we're living in time, people are just so wrapped up in their own stuff. So it's at the beginning of this pandemic, everyone seemed to just take out their angst and frustration on the people they had access to, which was super fun and not a great mental health <laughs> exercise for me. But it's like, it's endless. The uh, It's funny, I was thinking about it um, in preparation for this interview. And I have got the weirdest collection of, let's say, well, look, criticism. Everything from you shouldn't let your baby cry to you, you should let your baby cry to, you know, you shouldn't exercise so much. You should exercise so much. I, I got a DM about how it was bad that I was eating salad. Hmm. Like, huh. How, how are these things justified? Because uh, it wasn't like a full meal. Oh, oh okay. okay. Stay away from salads. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, salads apparently very bad. Didn't know. I stay away from them anyway. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I was in this. It was in you know we all have highs and lows, and I was in this like 
keen kick where I'm going to eat a vegetable today. I'm going to have a salad. And then I got a DM saying that it wasn't enough for lunch. So I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's very hard to win. Now, is there anything that you personally are comfortable with, like doing as a mom, but you're not comfortable sharing online because you're just worried about the backlash? I'm less worried about the backlash. The things that I don't share have evolved and changed over time. And it's mostly in relation to what I share with the kids. As the kids grow up and get older, like when my kids were young, I kind of just was like free reign, your babies, whatever. I shot you out of my private parts. You you get to do what I say. Like you destroyed my vagina, whatever. First year is mine. (laughs) But now that they're older and they're having a say, it's I've sort of had to take that and remove it and make sure that they're protected. So things like I'm very private about some behavioral stuff going on behind the scenes with my kids. I I used to not so much be, but now that there's sort of some more nuanced, you know, doctors involved and things like that, it's like, that's a hard no. (laughs) Another thing that's interesting, and it's so cool to talk to both of you on here, and I'm so jealous because my husband, I have the most wonderful husband. He is like the gold star of husbands. And he's very private. So I don't, at his request, other than saying to people, I'm not talking about him. I don't get to share him with the world, which is really hard because I think he would be a really cool role model for a lot of other husbands and spouses out there. Mm-hmm. And he's cool with you putting yourself out there though. He is now. It took a while. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the fine line of what to share and what not to share. So, I I mean, I've never, no marriage or relationship is perfect. Everyone's going to have spats. There's no, I mean, I'm so happy with my marriage, but I'm never going to go online and bash him when we have a fight because Mm -hmm. he's my number one. He's, why would I bash him to a bunch of people? Well, I mean, a lot of friends online, but some strangers as well, when he's the most important person. And it's respecting privacy of like family and extended family and friends. Like most people think I don't have friends which is, I mean, I have a lot of really great friends, but it's their lives are not mine to share. Yeah. Really. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I get that. And I feel the same way about not going online and like, you know, talking about a fight I had with Shane when we could just do that on the podcast. Like last night we were recording and we had to re-record half our podcast because we were having a, having a little tiff during yeah. it. And we're happy to talk about that together. But again, it's not something that I just kind of do on my own. And I was curious, what age did you start to, you know, start creating more boundaries for your kids? Yeah, I think when she started vocalizing things, uh, my oldest, so my kids are (laughs) uh, five and a half and three. The five and a half year old is very vocal. The coolest kid ever, kind of a psychopath. Well, the jury's still out on that. We'll see what happens. Go, let's go for like high powered person as opposed to like murderer. But um, she started expressing me like, mommy, don't take a picture of me. I'm like, oh, okay. This is, this has got, something's got to change because I'm off creating a social media monster. And also she obviously doesn't want her picture taken. So I think at that point it was reevaluating things. And now I actually, She's almost six. So I actually ask her, like, can I, I try to explain it as best I can, but of course she's never going to get the full scope of what the possibility of the crazy world of the internet is. But uh, if she says no, it's like, okay, cool. This isn't, it's not about them. It's about moms and, you know, being a mom, being a mom is part of it, but you're still a person. You're not just, Hey, Erica Fraser, the mom, you're Erica Fraser 
and you're a mom and you're all these other things. Mm -hmm. I think people forget about that too, about your own, you know, your own desires, your own feelings, that you have feelings when you're a figure on the internet that is available to people. And I was listening to a couple episodes of your podcast and you were talking about your own postpartum journey. And I, I wanted to touch on that because I know that's why you started up to create that resource for people that, you know, it was lacking in some way. And I find that with a lot of moms who do have a presence online, they want to kind of be what they didn't have. And that's how it is for me. And like, you know, new motherhood is beautiful. It is terrifying. It is exhausting. It is fun. It is all of these things. And personally, I was not prepared for it at all. And I wanted to get your take on that with your first kid, because I think from what I heard that you had a similar experience to me. Yeah. And you're, how old are yours again? You guys are, you guys are a year or two behind me, right? In we, terms of ages? We're like three and eight months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're almost two years behind, I think, in the journey because I was scoping out your adorable humans. Like, <laughs> they're right in the thick of things. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That was a hard time for me. The reason I asked about the ages is because so much has changed in the last six. I'm going to say, I'm just going to say she's six. Her birthday's in September. It's easier. All this half age, whatever is kind of uh, BS. Um, she's six. And so much has changed in the online world. Uh, in the last six years, because when I started my weird journey into motherhood, like we all have weird little stories, it was Moses baskets and jeans and coffees on white duvets. Now it's, you know, people like us who are like, oh, well, just this is how it is. It's great. It's amazing. But, you know, someone just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> like It's a little bit of a mixed bag of parenting. And or was it I wasn't expecting because also the discussions around mental health weren't as prevalent back then was how I not only dove into the world of motherhood from a like logistics perspective, your life will change. You will sleep less. You'll be exhausted. Sleep now before the baby comes, all that boilerplate stuff that everyone hears, but no one warned me about the physiological changes that would happen within me and how my hormones would fluctuate and how you can't really control that. And that's okay. Um, and it was quite a rude awakening. I don't know about you, but it was just like, what, why can't I stop crying? Why am I so sad? What is happening? Have you ever stopped by the way? Crying? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm a vault of no emotions. No. <laughs> I, I lock it down and then I cry like uncontrollably, like every period basically sorry yeah. shane but every like when you know <laughs> that time of month is just when it's like i can't hold it in anymore and it just sort of i look forward to the point in time where i stop crying from my fluctuating postpartum hormones and that it's just when i'm getting my period because right now it's just like yeah you're right and you're right in the thick of things because you're like toddler and a baby who you're just like starting to see the light so then it just starts you just start crying because the kids are mean to you it's different. Right? Like the Fun. kids like are really evil. So my son the other day, sidebar, he, it was, everyone was screaming. I was getting them ready. And like, we're in Ottawa, Canada. So snowsuit season is a bitch for parents with young children. And I thought I was the most genius parent in the world because I put on the wrong pants. And of course, then there was a meltdown and the world ended. My son just lost his mind because I picked the wrong pair of daycare pants, blue, stretchy pants, whatever. But I'm like, you know what? fuck it. I'm not changing these pants. He's wearing these pants. And of course he tried to strip himself continuously. So thinking the genius that I am, 
I straight jacked straight jacketed him in his snowsuit jacket. Like I reversed it and zipped it up the back. So he was stuck there like a little pudgy toddler. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the smartest mom ever. I'm winning the world. Life is good. And <laughs> what a little dick. Two seconds later, he's like, mommy, I peed my pants. Oh, no. Purposely oh, peed oh. fucking everywhere. So I had to change him. It's like, you cry for different reasons now. That's such a headache. At different stages, yeah. Oh my Just God. like kind of like really kind of life now. <laughs> so yeah, you'll stop crying, but it'll be for different reasons. Do you find as, uh, speaking of periods, in this period of your life. Nice segue. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> has it gotten easier as your children have gotten older or is that a myth? No, there's a light for you guys. Yeah. It gets okay. good. Yeah, yeah. There's still moments like where they'll, purposely challenge you in really like healthy ways as, as much as it's annoying that I'm like, okay, now I have to change snowsuits and all that fun stuff. It's a health, like he's challenging me in a healthy way. But the other day, both the kids were downstairs playing in a fort by themselves without hitting each other. No one was screaming while I sat upstairs and had a coffee by myself. So it was glorious. That's awesome. Lots of fun things to look forward to. Yeah. It does get easier. I'm excited for the stage when they decide to ignore me. Yeah. <laughs> See, that that like breaks my heart already. But again, I'm in the hormonal postpartum phase. Right now, though, I just love it for my baby not to meet death seemingly at every corner. Like there's always something on the floor that she could choke on or something that could get around her neck. I don't know. But it She's makes me in so that nervous. Phase. She, yeah. it, she almost... She like, almost ate a rock today. Yeah, I know. I, I don't even know how she found Rocks it. Rocks are delicious. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, what do you find to have been your biggest motherhood misconception from what people told you, didn't tell you, what you researched, what you didn't research. What do you think hit you the hardest? That's the first time anyone's ever asked me. Good question, guys. Um, I came up with that one and I let <laughs> her read not. it. It's full of shit. You know what? I think, I, I can't think of just one because it's, it's all sort of dependent on who you are and what you've been raised to believe, right? Like for me, I, in the stage that you guys were in, I was like, this is never going to end. This is going to be my life. I'm just, I'm in it. This is it. And I just, I honestly thought in that moment that <laughs> this is just what I signed up for, but it, it changes in every single stage. Yeah. That's a great question. I'm going to have to think about that. I'll get back to you guys with yeah. a better answer. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll read your email uh, during this podcast. We'll edit it in, whatever your response is. <laughs> oh, I have homework now. Okay. Yes, yes. We hold you to it. Well, because for me, it was definitely, in, you know, I felt that too, that it's never going to end. And I felt that in the newborn phase, when I was going through the sleep problems and trying to breastfeed and not getting sleep and being so emotional. And then I had postpartum anxiety. Shane had to leave a lot for work and he worked in Toronto which is about an hour away from where we live. So he'd only be there on the weekends. And that I was like, I'm never going to see the light. I'm going to be this tired shell of myself forever. And it's hard. And then when I'd see Shane, I'd be so emotional. And I don't, did you like Shane, did you, mm -hmm. I guess, see, like experience that through a different lens from what I was going through? Or was it hard for you to see that? Well, I was going through it too. Like mm -hmm. being, for me, I wasn't around a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a whole other frustration for me. So I was just as, I don't know, pent up and anxiety ridden as you were. Mm -hmm. And I think that that phase is 
it's trying for everybody, regardless of what you go through. But one thing, Erica, that I found so fascinating about you, and it was such a fascinating podcast episode, listeners, go check it out. But it's the one you did on your breastfeeding journey, or your feeding journey. Yeah, and it's so funny because I actually wrote down to submit my homework to you guys that my biggest misconception was that breastfeeding is easy um, because you had mentioned you just mentioned it so there you go my homework is submitted no no further effort for you guys yeah thank you Woo, I passed um it was so often people just you just assume it's gonna come easily you just assume everybody wants to breastfeed And it's so like, we're talking about like Ontario, we're in Ontario, Canada, and the rest of the world has very different cultural beliefs, very different support systems. It's not just the same in your little pocket of the world. And for me with breastfeeding, I actually went into it thinking that, you know what, I'm just going to formula feed from the beginning because I had had a breast reduction five years prior. So I never even gave it a second thought. And then as soon, I don't know how it is uh, in your neck of the woods, but like the nurse just like popped the baby on my boob, like instantly. Mm. I was like, okay, I guess, I guess we're doing this going with it now. (laughs) And uh, after that, I was like, why isn't this coming easily to me? Everyone just talks about how this is this magical, wonderful journey. And I felt like I was failing because I wasn't able to physically live up to that. And I think that's probably one of the that for me in my personal journey, the biggest misconceptions of a motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a little bit of research on it. So, you know, the numbers were always between one and 5% of women actually can't produce enough milk, but the numbers might be like five and maybe upwards a little bit of percentage of women who actually can't breastfeed. And that's like not even including having had surgeries like breast reduction and everything. So it, it is so interesting. And I actually don't I have never met somebody who had an easy time with it. So I don't know where that myth came from because I've never met You had a fairly easy time with it, though. For two months, I was crying every time she was on my Oh, I I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on, I guess. Shame on me. Yes. But no, it was was so painful. And for two months, and I was like, I don't know. One month in, I was like, I don't know if I can go on with this because – it's been a month of hell and pain and it's awful. And my cousin was like, just stick with it. It's, it'll get better. It'll just click one day. It'll get better. Something will happen. And it did. And then we breastfed for 18 months and it was like, it was a dream. It was a dream after that hard part. And I just find there's, there's not that honesty there. Did you have anybody in your life that kind of told you like, this part's going to be hard. This part's going to be hard. Cause I sure as hell didn't like my mom, like glorified everything. No. Yeah. You know what? The messages I got were, and I, you know, my mom's like, we're very candid about mental health. My mom was the first person to stick me into therapy when I was like 18 years old. She's like, just go, it'll be good for you. But it's, I think people forget, like, honestly, if you're talking about that generation, if you don't have friends and I don't know about you guys with your friends and who's having babies in your lives. But at that point I had close friends who had babies, but I hadn't been in touch with them in so long that we hadn't had time to have that conversation. Mm. And my mom's generation, honestly, I think you just forget. Cause I look back at the newborn stage right now and I'm like, yeah, that sucked, but I could do it again. It's fine. But no, in the time I was like crying in the bathroom floor, <laughs> like, help, I can't do this. So no one, no, no one had that. Con- Why don't we have those conversations more? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. For having podcasts about it. Woo. Yeah. Now we're helping <laughs> with, did, with the breastfeeding when it, were you able to actually do it? I haven't listened to this episode. 
uh, of your podcast like Alex did. did you mean you, you didn't can... look into an episode about someone's I'm breast going to. It's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the Coles notes right now so yes. you can save yourself an hour. <laughs> with So with my daughter, I made, who's the older one, I made it. I'm going to butcher these dates because, again, you forget. So I'm just going to throw a random number out there. I made it maybe about a month of you know, the recommended at that stage, like the three hour, you remember, like, well, I'm sure you were obviously remember, you probably just came out of it, that horrible three hour cycle that everyone recommended, whereby you nurse, then you pump, and then you bottle feed. <laughs> and then you put you sleep for four seconds, and then you do it all over again. And so I made it about a month before I basically was the whole postpartum depression and exhaustion kicked in. I was like, this is not a great idea for anybody. And then with breast reductions, what they say is that the second time you have a higher possibility of producing more milk, just given that, you know, second burst, everything's a little bit quicker. It's all just like, Ooh, more milk. But after two bouts of mastitis with, and two months later with my son, I was like, no, this is, this is just not, this is not meant to be, but my, not my biggest regret, but my biggest um, thing that I struggled with was like, I, in my head, I inherently knew that sorry. Yeah. The breastfeeding journey wasn't for me. I biologically literally didn't have like ducks that connected to feed my child because they'd been hacked out and scooped out like five years ago. But I also, it wasn't something I'd ever planned to do. And I don't feel any strong. I don't have any strong thoughts against formula. To me, I've always been like, whatever, it's the same in my mind, my personal view, you know, how political I am right now about it because I've been like bashed about this so many times, but it's, uh, yeah, a month for my daughter, two months for my son. Uh, and then I realized that my mental health was the number one, because if I wasn't fit, both physically and mentally, I wasn't taking care of these kids in their best possible, the best possible capacity. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot of social pressure and shame mm-hmm. to if you give up. Whereas for me, I think that if, if I was the one to breastfeed, there'd be so much other stuff going on. I would just quit immediately. <laughs> yeah, just being no, honest. But that's, my husband would do the same too because mm-hmm. that rationale, like the rational thought of, hey, functionally, this isn't working. The best thing is to have a healthy, happy parent. There's this great alternative that's easier for everybody. Let's just do this. Great. And I think when you're, <laughs> Alex, when you're talking about hormones, those things are a bitch and they make you not think in the most rational way. And I think that's where I got caught up is I'm one of the most rational people I know almost to a fault. But when it came time to make this decision, hormones just kicked in and that external shame. And then of course, putting myself out on a platform like Instagram where people had, you know, every thought in the book, make Mm -hmm. it very, made it very difficult. I wonder how much of it too is like the term mom shaming is very common, but Mm -hmm. actual mom shaming. And what I mean by that is, your mom shaming you, mm-hmm. who's also a mom. So for instance, for me, my mom didn't breastfeed. So I think if I had breasts that could feed, I wouldn't feel as much pressure to do so because my mom wouldn't be like, well, when I had you, I did. And, you know, whereas your your mom breastfed. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, and she was very proud of it yeah. and, you know, breast is best or whatever. So I feel like maybe you would have been shamed by your mom, a true mom shame. If you didn't, if you gave up, I think she would have understood, but I see that I I, I could definitely see that happening, especially like you mentioned, Erica, like different cultural practices. And I could absolutely see somebody 
who is not kind of following in their mom's footsteps or their cultural practices getting shamed for that. Cause, and that's a lot to carry. Yeah. Indeed. It was just an interesting thought I had. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, just, to, <laughs> just to pivot a little bit, uh, your, your account is called Mom Break. And obviously, it's a break for moms to take out of their day. They go to your account. They feel better. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's great for every mom to fall and probably a lot of dads, too. But what is your version of a mom break? Uh, like for us, mm -hmm. we have a date night. That is a night when it's like our parental break and we, you know, we have this moment of Zen every date night where we have life figured out. Last night, Alex said to me, I figured out the meaning of life. <laughs> she actually said that. She was, she, <laughs> this is why I have a hangover. Yeah, she, she was a little drunk. Okay? I was just going to say the hangover makes sense <laughs> now. But it, it always seems in the date night, there's like a 10 minute period where, ah, oh, this, our life is so good. She's like, I go, what's the meaning of life? And she was like, uh. <laughs> Making our children happy? Was that no, it? No, making them kinder and more conscientious people than we were oh. and shaping the next generation. Too. Yes. And then it seemed like, oh, our lives are going to be good from going forward because we figured it out. But then we wake up and now we're all irritable and you, you know what I mean? But point is the date night's still worth it. What is your version of that if you even have one? Also, I think just quick thing about your date night date nights are always so nice because the kids aren't around so you can just be you guys and then you can talk about the meaning of life without being exactly. yelled at or cried at exactly <laughs> it's glorious <laughs> it's amazing oh so good so mom break so to me mom break is more than just a physical break it, it's about giving yourself both a physical and an emotional break and by that i mean giving yourself the permission to say, Hey, it's okay to do this. It's okay not to do this. It's okay to focus on yourself and not your, like put yourself at the top of the priority list and not, you know, make your kids on this pedestal where then you by somehow fall to the bottom of the list. So for me, I've done a lot of soul searching over the last, well, I mean, over the last year. And I realized that in this, my, my personal version of a mom break is actually taking care of me and my health. It's not necessarily like the date nights is a close second, but it took a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that I'm more important to me than I, my kids are to me. And I, I think that a lot of people, people, I, it's a very polarizing statement whereby people either fully agree and they're super supportive. They're like, you go girl. Or I don't think I've ever said that in my life, by the way, <laughs> I felt really unnatural. <laughs> Or they're like, well, how are you such, you can't be, you're a horrible mom because your kids need to be your top priority. And my, my answer to those people is that in order to be the best possible, it's a boilerplate answer, the best possible mom I need to be for those kids. I need to be like physically healthy, mentally healthy. I need to be a happy person. And I've been a parent when I've not been any of those things. And I was a pretty shitty parent. I was snappy. I was short. I didn't really like hanging out with my kids. So for me, a mom break is things like going for a run or locking myself in my bathroom or this is a, <laughs> my husband, this is going to make people hate me, but, um, my husband and I negotiate, we, we have our, our schedules very carefully planned out and, um, one of the things that we realized was that I'm really terrible at putting the kids to bed because they're just like worse with mom. I think most kids, not all, but most kids are just like, mom, you'll, we eventually will scream and you will give in. 
So um, my husband's really good at putting them to bed. So we realized that in order for me to keep my mental health in check, he takes on now all of double bedtime. So he does all double bedtimes. And I, I mean, I have other things that I do that balance it out so that we're a team doing things together. But then in that time, I, <laughs> again, this is where people are going to be like, huh, but I need these things. I either go for a bath or I go for a run or I have a zoom date with friends. Um, or I mean, I do stuff around the house to tidy up, but it's taking that time for myself away from my kids so that I can focus on me. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. I thought you were, you set it up in a much more, I, know. I thought you were going to say, I, I chug a um, bottle of tequila or something. I was like, what is it? What is it? What does she do? Oh, she has a bath? She's doing some cocaine in the bathroom while they're sleeping. Yeah, no. But I think that goes to show how, like, how strongly people feel about this topic, because I've been ingrained over the last three years that, like, I, it's this big thing to take time to yourself, but because we don't do it. And so often people are like, well, I didn't have the time to do that. Well, then ask, like, if you want something and you have a supportive partner and you have the, the resources and the time, you need to ask for what you want or else mm-hmm. you're never going to get it. Mm-hmm. No, and I like the way that you framed you know, doing things for yourself. Like it's not taking the shower that you need for basic hygiene. It's not going to the grocery store alone. Cause I know a lot of moms, you know, and we joke about that. It's like the running meme that, oh, going to the grocery store without the kids, this is heaven. And it is, but that's not self-care and that's not taking time for us. And it's bull crap that we've been kind of made to feel that way. So how would you place between yourself relationship with yourself, I guess, with your spouse, with your kids, what would be the totem pole there? What would be on the top? Easy. Me, my husband, my kids. Cause also too, like, and I'm sure I think based on how much I stalked you guys, it's, I assume it's about the same as well yeah, for your family. Yeah. But ever since I pivoted that, like, and it's not always been like that before it was like kids work, other work. Cause I have like a day job as well. Friends. No, not even. I don't even know what was in between there. Nothing, maybe my husband at the bottom. And then me, like I almost don't even make the list. And ever since we did that pivot and that shuffle, it's been an incredible transformation of how much happier everyone is, not just us, but the kids. Like they're it's astonishing how much they're thriving once we've switched that priority level around. Yeah. No, it's it's huge. And honestly, if they're just seeing like healthy relationships with self, with partners modeled around them, that's going to help create the best environment for your kids. But do you have a question? I do have a question, me, yeah. Alex. Yes. Uh, I, t- I tap. <laughs> if you ever see me going, doing something here, I'm tapping her. That's how we communicate. Love it. <laughs> it's a great system. But uh, what if you do have a date night? I think you alluded that you actually do have a date night. I just like asking, what does that look like for you? Because I'm always looking to pick up new ideas. Yeah. So we do, our date nights are Saturday nights um, and they look a little bit different now. We do a date night every Saturday and they look a little bit different now because in the situation in Ottawa, as we see it, we have no um, childcare outside of my husband and I. So it's essentially after the kids go to bed. <laughs> okay. That's ours. That's ours. That's this one. It, yeah. yeah. Um, so we give our, okay, whatever. I'm just going for it. I'm going to admit it. We give our kids melatonin on date night oh, wow. <laughs> just to make sure they're like asleep. <laughs> a little small, half reasonable, healthy, there you go. pharmacy approved, diagnosed but so that they're not basically up for hours being like, mommy, mommy, mommy. Um, so that, yeah, <laughs> COVID date nights, melat- drug your kids. Um, <laughs> tips for mom, right? Natural, natural drugs. Um, but we take turns 
um, planning them. So every second week is it's my responsibility to plan the date night. And then alternatively, it's my husband. So things like my husband, he's big into YouTube videos and learning how to cook steaks right now. So he'll make like a fancy steak and dinner. Oh, nice. um, this is a good one for you guys to take away. He, the first date night, he set the bar so high. It was real annoying. I um, had finished. I don't know. I was coming down the stairs. The kids were asleep and he met me at the stairs with a blindfold. This is not going where you think it's going. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's a great option too. And maybe at some point that could be incorporated, but he met me downstairs with a blindfold and he took my hands and he's like, do you trust me? I'm like, yeah. Like I trust that you're not going to smash my face into a wall. Like <laughs> lead me wherever you want to lead me. Let's go. And he brought me into the kitchen and he said, we are going to bake cookies together. So what we did was me blindfolded, we baked cookie, he had all the ingredients lined up and he helped me, like he guided my hands to bake the cookies so that we were both like cute. It was, it was a cheap date. It's like the scene from Ghost where yes. they're making the clay. Oh yeah. We've definitely never seen that, but yes, that sounds exactly like it, but I highly recommend it. And then you got to eat cookies after. That's no, genius. That's awesome. That is so smart. I love it. I would never think that. And you know what? If I read that online, I'd be like, yeah, right. Like this isn't going to work. So I'm glad you had the actual practical experience. No, it's romantic. Yeah. It, it opens itself to being funny. It's, it's the perfect yes, thing to it's do. It's silly. It's like cute because then you're close and you're like touching each other all the time in a way that's not like, hey, we're touching. We're going to have sex now. <laughs> like it's kind of a nice like foreplay thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was so things like that. So every second is Saturday, we, and we have to be flip flop and take turns. So wait, what have there, if that's like one of the best ideas, has there been a date yeah, night a idea? Flop. Yeah. That one of you planned that just didn't work. <laughs> yeah, there was one that was, it was, well, actually the worst one was when he just forgot. Uh, All right. No, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to take full credit for this. I forgot. <laughs> I'm not going to throw him under this. I just completely, he's like, what are we doing for date night? And I was like, cause it's COVID time. So you often lose track of like most often. I don't even know what month it is to be honest. Yeah. I think that was, that was the biggest one. I just forgot. And then another time he had planned one where we were just watching a movie on the couch. I was like, this is bullshit. We need more than just a movie. We've, we've been watching movies on the couch for the last year. Yeah. Let's do better. Exactly. Yeah, let's watch them blindfolded. Maybe that's the next idea. <laughs> okay, Erica, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling the names on top of masking tape. From there, the idea for a new product was born, and this product is the very best personalized waterproof name labels and tags that are equally cute and durable. Mabel's Labels is an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and kids alike. And fathers, too. And fathers, too. We gotta add that into the read. I'm sitting right here when you say moms alike. <laughs> Like, dads do not like that part. Well, you love Mabel's labels, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally natural. I do. I do love Mabel's labels. You know, I'm a, I'm a type to prone to lose things, but I'm also obsessed with not losing things. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get you that way, too. And I think Mabel's labels has been the way for you to see the error of your ways. Oh, well, thank you. And I like Mabel's labels for you because it helps you know, oh, this coat is Lucy's and it doesn't fit on her eight-month-old baby Betty and things like that and things that I think are easy. You're right. 
You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it, it does so help helpful. Because I don't know all the clothes the way you do. No, and Lucy loves them on the other hand because the labels are in cute shapes and she gets to help me design them online. We get to put hearts, cherries, hedgehogs, whatever. But let's face it, it's really going to come in handy for us when COVID is over and the preschool and the real school and all the stuff that's going to make me cry just thinking about our little <laughs> ducklings leaving the nest. <laughs> Their line of products features baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. And the best part is that they are so extremely durable. They're laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe, and they're 100% guaranteed. So head on over to mapleslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the U.S. Again, that is mableslabels.ca and this family tree 15. But we are also supported by... Hello, Bello. Hello. Being a parent is hard, like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. And speaking of blowouts, when you do get a blowout, I find these diapers, the, the poop doesn't get on the baby's clothes as much. <laughs> Here's the thing. Is there a better way to say that? The poop, no, I, I think you're saying it right. The poop doesn't get on the baby's clothes as much. And speaking of Hardly clothes, at all. I honestly can't remember a I, time when we've had a blowout where the poop has gotten on the baby's outfit. Well, with Lucy, I feel like we we're having one blowout a week. With Betty, we might have only had one or two in her entire existence. Yeah, we, uh, Full disclosure, we used to use different diapers. That's true. But we got turned on to the amazing diapers that are Hello Bello. And this is, of course, founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. And Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. And their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 fun different rotating designs each year. Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% off of any of the add-ons like the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream, the detangler. They have so many things you can choose from and everything is so good. So to get Hello Bellows super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved. And just because I don't want you to forget, that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your order. One last time, it's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30, and this promo is applicable to Canadians only. But now... Let's get back to our interview with Erica. Just to give you a suggestion, something that's simple that worked and created kind of an uh, interactive experience for us, and it's ridiculously easy. We put on the newlywed game on YouTube, and we played along as a fourth contestant, and it's just so much fun. J listening to the other contestants' answers is hilarious, especially the ones they put on YouTube tend to be the best ones, and then seeing if you could actually win the game. And you can watch them from the 50s up until like the early 2000s. And every era is equally as entertaining and as valid to play. But that's just my little uh, suggestion to you. No, that is such, that is my favorite kind of date night. Yes. Um, but yeah, again. Perfect. I'm doing that tomorrow. <laughs> Done. It's my date night for the next one. I'm taking credit for it. Perfect. You're welcome. But uh, speaking of uh, therapeutic things, you know, I'm the master of segues. Um, <laughs> going, going to therapy, for me, uh, that's something I, I don't know if I've always wanted to do, but I've always been curious about it. 
And with the time being the way it is for me, I, I would I used to say, oh, if I went to therapy, I'd need to go to therapy because I'd be so stressed out about carving out that time to 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 go to the therapy. Now, for you, is this a lifelong thing or is there a moment where, hey, I've done the work and now I'm therapy free and that's fine? Or is this for the rest of your life you're going to be in therapy? I go to therapy, like I go for massages. It's like when my back is sore and I'm like, I have like pain radiating down, radiating down my hand. I'm like, oh shoot, it's time. I have to go. (laughs) It's, uh, it's, it's usually I've done the bulk of the work and now I'm at the place where I'm, I'm self-sufficient, but there's always moments and cycles in time. So for instance, like COVID hit and everyone was full of anxiety. So it's like, well, okay, I need to figure out some extra tools for my toolkit to be able to deal with that. Or I had a bout of cyberbullying, like most people do who put themselves out on the world. And was like, okay, I need the tools to be able to deal with this. So it's, it's more reactive to the situation with the fact that I have this underlying toolkit that already exists in my repertoire. And how many therapists did you have to go through before you found the one that worked for you? It's hard because I guess it depends on where you are in the world, but right now, I mean, right now it's a bit because we're in the middle of a bit of a mental health crisis. Um, but it's so hard in Ottawa to find a therapist and, So couples therapist is an example. So we've done the couples therapy route as well. And our first couple therapists, we just didn't really like, we didn't click. So it took us one, we, you know, made our way through one before we found the one that we like, but I've been really fortunate um, that every therapist I've seen so far, I've really liked. And the only reason I've stopped seeing them is because they've like selfishly gone and like got pregnant and had a baby and had to take time off. "Hmm." (laughs) Yeah. So selfish, but uh yeah, it, it's that, I think that's the most challenging part for the entryway into therapy because you're at this point, and I'm sure Alex, you can relate, where you're just like paralyzed with anxiety and uncertainty about what to do next. And if it's postpartum depression or anxiety, the task of finding a therapist and actually booking an appointment and then finding childcare seems like this monumental hurdle that isn't possible to do just based on those pesky hormones that we talked about. And I think for me, with my therapy journey, one of the best things that I did was in one of those low moments, I actually texted my husband and said, I need help. I need you to find the therapist. I need you to book the appointment and just get me. I'll do it. Just get me there. But I'm not capable of doing the work right now to get there. I want to, but I'm not capable of, I need your help. And I think that was the, the, one of the best things that I did. And if people have a person in their lives who can do that, let them call therapy office for you. They probably want to help. Yeah. Right. Now, I, I was mentioning uh, in my last question that I get stress over time management. Uh, how are you with that? And is there a time, because you also, you also mentioned you have a full-time job and you're this social media influencer. How do you structure your day where you have a set time to shut off? Yeah. So this is actually one of the things that I'm working on sort of pivoting because one of my specialties and one of the things that I don't talk about a lot because most moms don't care is that I'm actually like a productivity specialist and time management and all this fun stuff. And my day job's actually in marketing and product management. So this is like my jam, like all the books behind me are like productivity books. And like- Wait, moms don't care about that? Wouldn't moms be like so into that? But they don't necessarily want to be told what to do. Erica, you can tell me what to do. I'm terrible with time management and productivity. Tell me what to do. Please time manage my life. Let me organize you. (laughs) I think for me, it's about the boundaries, though. So 
one of the things that I do that really helps sort of with all facets of my life is I spend a lot of time figuring out where do I want my life to be in, let's say, 30, 40, hopefully 50 years? <laughs> what do I want to look back on my life on and feel like I've accomplished or lived? And then work my way back and figure out then what are my priorities right now? Because one of the things that I realized in my big aha moment from the just time management perspective was that all the things I was doing in my day-to-day basis weren't actually things that were in any way connected to how I wanted to live my life. So I was like, why am I spending all this time and energy filling up my calendar, using emotional resources, doing when I have all of these other things that are more important? So for me, it was about figuring out that life purpose getting those priorities. And then actually, this is where the fun part mm-hmm. is for me, no one else, but for me, Alex, you'd be like, oh. <laughs> scheduling right. them into my calendar. So I like, I literally have my, again, embarrassing, but I have my bath actually scheduled into my calendar. So now take like Monday nights is my night where I like take a bath. I do a facial, I do my hair, my nails, and then I go do like a meditation class at my gym, but I actually physically have it in my calendar. And I know that it's something that's going to move me forward. So I think that's the sort of, like everyone has different tools and techniques and tactical things that you can do, but it's about if you're doing stuff that don't align to your purpose and that your priorities in life, like what's the point? Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, I, I, I like the, the scheduling and even your bath. We spoke to Lauren Everts from the skinny confidential. And she said that her, her day, each day is so time managed that each daily shower, even though it's only 10 yeah. minutes, is scheduled in. And like Shane's gotten me onto using a calendar. I've never really used a calendar, but over COVID times, we've scheduled that. We've scheduled in our intimacy and things like that. And that helps even just to look at it. And then you have to think about it. Like it forces you to have to think about it and think about what you want to do. And I think it's so good. But yeah, I suck at it. I suck at all of that. And I, I like need help. So wait, do you like, could people hire you to do that? No, no, no. I'm too lazy for that. I don't have time. <laughs> but it's something that I like to talk passionately talk about. And I have a couple projects that will help support this in the coming months. But I think one of the big things about, like, like you said, once you have it scheduled in and regardless to what detail you schedule it in, cause I'm sure the idea of scheduling in your shower probably makes your head want to explode and like mm-hmm. anxious. You're like, ah, I can't schedule my shower, but I can schedule in or intimacy, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the really great thing about that is it has this sort of secondary factor whereby if it's scheduled in and all of the things that are on your list of priorities are scheduled into your calendar, then you don't feel guilty when you're doing them. So for example, one of the things that's important to me is that the same thing you said in your epiphany moment when you were drunk last night (laughs) is that I want to raise like kind, caring, loving children who are just better. Right. And to do that, I can't be, you know, on my phone all the time when I'm hanging out with them and I can't be throwing them in front of the TV all the time as babysitter. I actually have to spend time with them. (laughs) Funny how that happens. But so I schedule time in to actually like fully focus on playing with the kids and it's blocked into the calendar. So then when I want to go do something for myself, like take a bath or take some time alone or go for a run, I don't feel guilty about it because I know those other priorities are being taken care of. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, now with Alex and I, it's strange because we're similar in a lot of ways, but we're different in a lot of ways. And sometimes I hear like, oh, uh, 
it's better to have somebody who's uh, what what is opposite? it opposite? Yeah, uh, what's the word? I, <laughs> deficit. Like, like yeah, marrying your deficit. Like type A where, or type B. Yeah, mm-hmm. where that person can fill in the void of the thing you're not bad with, and either way seems to arise problems. What is your husband, and uh, h- how does that work? Unless you can't talk about that, in which case, ignore that question. <laughs> <laughs> We're total opposites. No, I'm fine. I'm, I love talking about him because he's the coolest guy. But we are, I don't know about you guys, but we have, we started off as polar opposites and we've somehow merged into sort of like one person yeah. who mm-hmm. is still sort of an opposite. Like totally. for instance, yeah, he's obsessed with keeping things tidy, like, like cleaning clutter. Like the fact that there's food under my desk right now would make his head explode but he can't organize something to save his life. So the idea of like doing calendar invites for date night or the idea of having like shelves and things, um, having a functional system, he can't do. So it's like, we're polar opposite. And he's also very easygoing and one of those people that just everyone loves him right away where most mm-hmm. of the time I make an awkward joke and it's like, eh, you have to warm up to me. Right, So That's we're like me. Perfect compliment, but the same person, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it took us a while. We got here, though. <laughs> yeah, we all we all do with work, right? Now, uh, I would love to talk to you all day, but to, full disclosure, I have a screaming child upstairs right now. <laughs> nap time's over. <laughs> yes, the nap time is over. Uh, and sometimes we get an extra 10 here, but she's uh, she's screaming early. So we're going to have to go. But yeah, I, yeah, think, I think I've gotten so to all my questions. Yeah, and Erica, where can listeners go to check you out? Go to check out Mom Break online. Perfect. So I'm on Instagram at mom.break. That's where I hang out the most. I also have a podcast called The Mom Break Podcast. And uh, my website is mombreak.ca. And all my stuff is all just sprinkled in through all those places. And what can people expect on The Mom Break Podcast? Really, I spent this season actually curating a bunch of different topics and people who could have just like this very Mm -hmm. casual conversations. It's so funny when you guys so often, like if you're a guest on a podcast, you get like a big, long script of questions and you get all these like yada yada. It's very formal. Don't you shame us for (laughs) our lack of professionalism. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. (laughs) But. It's so it's it was really refreshing because I've made that approach with my my podcast this season as well, where it's like we so miss having those just chit chat conversations mm-hmm. about topics that are important to parents yeah. and being able to just casually have those conversations. So it's, I think, a lot of just a continuation of the episode that we talked about today with different topics relevant to moms. It's yeah. funny. The other day we had a guest and they yeah. submitted they told us the questions to ask them. <laughs> I never heard That's of that. That's never happened to yeah. me. That's wild. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting. Was it a PR rep who did it for you? No, it was the actual, yeah. it was the guest. I guess yeah. it, they were well put together questions. Yeah. Like very it, good it, questions. It wasn't bad. It was just, it was a little, uh, I don't know. I thought, oh, this isn't going to be fun. Like they've already like, it's going to feel mm. so robotic. It ended up being fine, but I just thought it was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, but truly, Erica, thank you for the candid conversations today and just sitting down with us like old buddies. We totally appreciate it. And these yeah, are honestly this. always the highlights of my day. Like when we have a good chit chat convo, highlight of a day. Yeah. I love it. Really lifts that hangover off balance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take two If it helps, you don't look or sound hangover. You take hangover like a champ. Yeah. I appreciate like a it. Champ. See? It's all the Zoom filters we have on right now. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but Erica, That must be it. Thank you so, so much for your time today. And we hope you have a great weekend. So nice to meet you Thank also. Thank you yes. guys. 
All right. Yes, you guys too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes, oh, yeah. thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Erica Frazier. Yeah, that was awesome. See, I love talking to another parent who's just doing it to the best of their abilities, but doing some things way better than I am. And I try to glean as much as I can from them. And Erica just has, I think, so much under her belt that I am just not good at. So I, I really love that agree, conversation yeah. for the <laughs> get out of here. I liked it what? for those no, reasons. No, it's good. Mm. What? She's better than you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. No, you're good at... Um, not you, organizing. You look nice tonight. Thank you, sweetheart. Um, but okay, who else we got? We got Millie Gooch on the show. Yeah. And she's mm-hmm. a very lovely person to talk to. She's knowledgeable. She's intelligent. She is kind. Mm-hmm. I just loved learning about how she got into this world of sober living when it was never really a problem. You know, so mm-hmm. many people, when you hear sober, the first thing that comes to your mind is, ooh, they have this dangerous backstory and she stopped just because she was annoyed by it and she Mm -hmm. was like i'm done with the headaches and you know we'll get into it in the interview but before we do get to this interview let's tell everyone who we are supported by we are supported by mini miosh mini miosh is a premium organic ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in toronto they believe in quality over quantity and they make the best basics for your littles ever i'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft comfy timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of their gender their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using gots certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes and we talk about this all the time but it's so fashionable you wish it came in adult sizes i'm not exaggerating and if you're an instagrammer influencer like i am (laughs) you'll love the way those photos come out plus shane puts lucy to bed every single night and she has to sleep in a mini miosh dress it just makes us realize that we have to buy all mini miosh clothing (laughs) so they're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on instagram and facebook and if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you will get 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. But we are also supported by... My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. For more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Now, I'm sick of spelling breast, so I want you to do it for me. B-R-E-S-T. That's right. There's no A. So if you're Googling it, just watch out for that. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. Shane and I can both speak to this from personal experience. It's the only nursing pillow that we've liked to use. We've used a ton, but it's the only one that we actually like and continue to use after the first week. It is definitely my number one favorite nursing pillow of all time. (laughs) It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. And you can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. And shout out to eTalk host Danielle Graham for introducing us to them because it truly changed our breastfeeding experience. But now let's get to our interview with Millie Gooch. Millie, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. And, you know, we are not sober people. We drink. However, we are sober one night of the week. We're sober on Saturday nights and we do non-alcoholic cocktails. And that's become a really big part of our life. And we were really excited to talk to you. I found the Society of um, Sober Girl Society online and I found you online and your book. 
And it really is amazing to see this community that you've built. And how long have you been sober for? Oh, firstly, thank you. Um, and delighted to be here. I've been sober for three years now, actually. So it was three years on the 11th of Feb. So just gone three years. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. And what is your journey with that? So you drank prior to that. Was it a choice that you made because you had to for your health or for what, like, what position were you in to make that decision? Yeah, so it was a bit of a mixture, actually, to be honest. I sort of started drinking when I went to university and I was your very much, you know, retired binge girl party drinker. So I would, you know, go out on a Friday, spend all of my weekend very hungover, uh, suffering from anxiety or beer fear. I don't know what you guys call it. Um, And that would kind of spill into my Monday, Tuesday so I would, you know, not feel great. I was, you know, doing a lot of things when I was drinking that I wasn't necessarily proud of. I started suffering from blackouts. So I wouldn't remember like small portions of my night and then huge portions of my night. Um, but then I would kind of just get into this cycle of, you know, getting to Thursday, being like a bit of a goldfish and going, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and drink. So I kind of did that for a good few years. Most of my early 20s are in kind of one big haze, to be honest. Um, And then I really started to notice the effect that it was having on my mental health. So I was really suffering with anxiety and, you know, exhibiting symptoms of depression and was really just in this cycle of like drinking, feeling kind of anxious, drinking to take the edge off, as we say, Um, and then just kind of doing it all over again. And my life started to look a bit like Groundhog Day. So it all just blurred into one kind of like party, really. Um, And then February 2018, I had uh, I went on a night out with my friends. Don't remember a lot of it. And then the next day I woke up and just thought, I I can't do this anymore. And it definitely wasn't the worst hangover I've ever had. It wasn't like a rock bottom moment. It wasn't like I have to do this, but I just thought I can't keep doing this. I don't want to keep doing this. Like alcohol is not serving me in any way anymore. Like the fun is completely outweighed by the effect of the next day. Um, And so, yeah, I just decided... It sounds like I just all of a sudden decided one day I was going to stop drinking and that was it. But I, you know, before that I'd done dry January and sober October, which are quite popular here. And I tried mindful drinking and I tried moderating, but all of which I found quite exhausting. So yeah, I just decided that day that that was it. Never drinking again. Told my friends they thought it was hilarious because they didn't believe me. And yeah, that was that. (laughs) (laughs) When you tell people that you are not drinking do many people assume that you had a terrible alcohol addiction and not just the common uh, experience that most university students have gone through or going through yeah I think probably three years ago when I first did tell people it seemed like it was maybe more of a radical thing then Mm -hmm. so people were quite shocked and they did say oh you know was it getting really bad and whereas now I think the conversation is really changing and like an example we're having this conversation now whereas three years there wasn't as much out there so when I tell people now that isn't always the reaction that I get anymore. A lot more people say, oh, I've got a friend who doesn't drink or actually I'm limiting my drinking. So I think the conversation is definitely changing, to be honest, which I think is a really positive thing because I think it's actually quite a dangerous conversation of, you know, you, you most people wait until they are that kind of like rock mm. bottom. You know, we all say, oh, it's fine because I'm not that bad. And it stops a lot of us stopping essentially mm. before, you know, it gets that bad. So yeah, I think it's a really good 
thing that the conversation is changing. See, now I'm, I'm so curious because I think about when I was in university and the people that you know, lived with me in university on my floor and my residence and things like that. There was like serious people had binge drinking habits. There were serious alcohol, like alcoholism that developed from people that weren't previously alcoholics. I wonder how much of that had to do with age and maturity and getting out on their own for the first time. And if things, you know, would naturally solve themselves as they get older, because you mentioned that moderation was exhausting. So, a part of me is curious, do you think that's just because of the age that you were when you decided to do these things, like you had to take a stand? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it is interesting because when I started Sober Girls Society, I started it for women kind of like my age, like young millennials, you know, early 30s. How old are how old, your early 30s? I'm 29 now. So gonna, you, seem tw- you seem still 23. Like, you yeah. look as- <laughs> Everyone says that. I'm like, it's because I don't drink. I haven't aged since I stopped drinking. (laughs) But I was 26 when I stopped drinking. Um, So, yeah, 29 now. But I I kind of started it at that, like, age bracket, you know, like people coming up to their kind of 30s, late 20s, early 30s. But the broad range of people that we have come to the platform has kind of shown me that people come to this question at so many different parts of their life. So, and a lot of us do think that moderation is exhausting. So I don't know if it is necessarily an age thing, but I think there are different factors. I even say that I think it was probably easier for me to stop drinking at 26 than it would have been at 22 because around 26 some of my friends started thinking about having kids and I had a couple of older friends and people were kind of winding down there like mega partying naturally whereas had it maybe been a few years before that I probably would have found it even harder so Mm -hmm. but then you come into different stages because I know a lot of women talk about mummy wine culture and how hard it is when they get to that point because it's so ingrained in that mummy needs a wine and Mm -hmm. you know mummy juice and all that so there are I think it goes in like peaks and troughs of of stages that people find it quite difficult to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. And you said that your friends laughed and they thought you were joking. So when you were like, no, guys, I'm serious. What was the response? Like, were people supportive? Were people trying to peer pressure you? Like, what did you experience with that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I told them at the start I was serious and I still don't think they believe me because, I mean, we've all said it. We've all said, I'm never drinking again. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I had probably said that more than most people. So I said, you know, I'm serious. And they still said, yeah, okay, hilarious. I'm sure we'll see if that lasts. And then I remember it was, I think it's probably about five months later, I was going on holiday with my friends. And one of my friends said, oh, well, you are going to drink on holiday, aren't you? And I was like, no I'm not and I think all of a sudden it dawned on them then because that was like a major life thing that oh I was actually going to take this seriously and I think when they actually did register that then they started to be really really supportive of it I think just up until that point and and I don't blame them because I think I'd said it so many times before but I just don't think they believed me it wasn't necessarily they were unsupportive I think they just thought it was another thing that I would you know Mm. end up not doing Do you like alcohol substitutes at all? I know some people who are vegan, they don't even want a meat substitute because they they just are – it grosses them out. How do you feel about an alcohol – a non-alcoholic alcohol substitute? Yeah, I love them. At the start, they were amazing for me as a substitute. I know – 
a lot of people do find them triggering so I'll just put that disclaimer on that if you do find them triggering avoid them but for me personally they were a lifesaver and just in terms of like ritual and habit and you know being able to turn up to a party with a case of non-alcoholic beer and not have everyone immediately see that it wasn't alcohol and things like that but I mean I've I'll probably turn it around later and show you but I've got a non-alcoholic drinks trolley behind me of like everything you could possibly think of because I mean luckily it is kind of stepping up where you guys are but here for for ages now it has been just booming so we have like non-alcoholic whiskey non-alcoholic gin like anything you could think of we now pretty much have a non-alcoholic version of what's your favorite oh I mean I really like spirit so I know that you two are seedlip fans actually yes. big time um, but I, I like a lot of those kind of alternatives so we've got a really good one here called Caleno and I like Atopia and Amplify we've got amazing brands here and then we've got some really good alcohol-free beer brands here as well actually so Lucky Saint is one of my favorites which I don't think you guys have over there but no. maybe I can try and get you a bottle <laughs> I, I've heard of that one I, I want to try that I haven't that. heard yeah. of it yeah no that's awesome and we yeah we really do like it and we find that you know when we sit down on a Saturday night with our seedlip cocktail and we put so much effort into making like beautiful cocktails more so than we would if we were just making like a you know a drink with actual alcohol in it but it, it relaxes us mm-hmm. and one thing that I was thinking of though like last night Shane and I had a really hard Monday and we opened a bottle of wine at night because we needed help relaxing and I think you know when you are going sober a simple coping mechanism, especially for us as parents, is to open a bottle of wine. We don't do it often, but we do. It's like, what do you do to cope or to help let off steam? Like, was that an adjustment? I I think actually non-alcoholic drinks is one for me. And I think like you were saying with the ritual and everything like that and putting so much effort into it, sometimes it isn't actually the alcohol itself like that is kind of placebo it's actually you know getting your really nice wine glass out taking five minutes for yourself uncorking it putting it in a wine glass and actually just sitting down and taking that breather sometimes it is that and it's not necessarily the alcohol so that's one thing I do I mean other things I do is kind of have a bath that is a huge one for me Um, I always say baths keep me sober and people laugh at that but it's actually quite true because that's kind of like my meditation time. So I'll sit in the bath, no distractions, no phone, no nothing, and sit there 20 minutes to half an hour and just chill out. Going for walks, exercising, yoga, all the kind of things that everyone you know normally recommends. Those are kind of the things that I do. But even just breathing and taking like five minutes, I think we think even when we're kind of rushing around and we're like, oh, well, we need to uncork a wine. Actually, if we just sat down and have like a 10 minute breather, you might be like, okay, I feel much better now, but we still constantly feel like we need to be doing something. We can't just sit there. We have to sit there with a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. So I think even just taking that time out has been really helpful. I've gone long periods myself without drinking in my 20s. I found the binge drinking was too much and taxing on my mental health like you're speaking of. But when I would go to a party or attempt to go, I felt like I was either feeling alienated or I was alienating other people. How do you mitigate that when you're out to not make people feel like you're a spy, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I mean, all my friends now, I think, are so used to it. So one of the like annoying things I always say is just give it time, which everyone wants like a quick fix to all the problems. But 
you know, at the at the first few parties, people might feel like that. But when it gets to the point where they realize, oh, actually, you're there just to have a good time like them, you're not judging them, you're not going to make a comment on them, then they kind of like ease into it. And they're not worried about it. But in terms of like feeling alienated myself, that's I will take a non-alcoholic drink. I will like always push myself out the way to make conversations with people. So maybe like one person that I don't know from the party, I will push myself to go and speak to them. And I don't know. I, th- I think so much of it is in our heads. I've been to parties before where I've said, right, I'm not going to talk about like not drinking literally unless someone asks me. So if I have like a non-alcoholic beer in my hand, someone will say, oh, what are you drinking? And I just say, you know, uh, Heineken zero zero. And they go, oh, like, how come you're not drinking? And I think that I, I wasn't going to say anything, but you have. <laughs> yeah. And so many people are actually genuinely interested in it. And I think we all have this like secret code where we all pretend we all love drinking. We're all heavy drinkers. Whereas a lot of us have done breaks. A lot of us are sober curious. A lot of us are interested in like taking time off from our drinking. So I will always find one person at a party who is actually interested in what I do. And that's without me even bringing it up. What are your thoughts on pretending that you are drinking alcohol when you're not? For example, sometimes I would have a clear glass and make it seem like I was drinking a uh, soda and gin or whatever the mix is. And I would lie to them. I would act like I was drinking just to avoid that conversation because I didn't want to, I guess, be embarrassed. This is a really interesting conversation, actually, because I once gave a tip, like, if you need to, just pretend. And I got a lot of, like, negative feedback on that because a lot of people were like, we're supposed to be normalizing sobriety, which is true. And, I, you know, I spend all of my time trying to normalize sobriety. But it's also not on each person to kind of normalize sobriety. If you feel like that is what you need to get through and that's going to help you not drink, then I think you should do that. It would be great if we could all go, yeah, this is me, like with my seltzer or with this and all be loud and proud about it. And hopefully there will be a time where that is the case. But up until then, if you need to lie, I just don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Well, plus, I think like if it's all about you having a good time in a way that makes you feel comfortable, right, then you avoid all the questions and peer pressure from friends and you just get to enjoy yourself. So I was curious because you said that you go up to people at parties and you'll go out of your way to talk somebody, talk to somebody that you maybe don't know or out of your comfort zone. I find I'm very talkative. I love meeting new people. I'm very extroverted, but I still need or think I need a little bit of liquid courage at a party. Mm-hmm. So how do you get over that hump of, you know, just wanting a little bit of help talking to people? Yeah, I think, again, it's that annoying thing of like time, because mm-hmm. you're exactly right, it is liquid courage. So I always say like alcohol is a synthetic confidence. So when you go to a party, and you're not confident, you will grab a drink, and you will suddenly become confident. But the next day when you wake up, that that is gone that courage is no longer there it's gone along with the drink but when you start doing those things without a drink you build this like real innate courage I call it that you that stays with you so the first party is always going to be quite uncomfortable the second party probably slightly less uncomfortable but once you do get into a swing of doing it you become so much more confident in yourself and you build this real confidence that you actually is there when you wake up in the morning Mm -hmm. and you take it to the next party and you just build on it and you do a sober day and then you do your first sober wedding and then you do your first sober holiday and you just build this like library of confidence of like, oh, I did that before, I can do it again. So I just think it's like a a courage that stays with you. But Mm -hmm. again, no 
kind of quick fix. But I think there's loads of things you can do practically, like before you go to a party, make sure you're in a really good headspace because, you know, if you're not, you're going to be tempted to go and get a drink. So even if that's like me making sure I've planned my outfit, because, you know, a classic thing that I used to do was not plan my outfit and then I would stress before a party, I'd put it on and be like, I don't like it, what am I going to wear? And then I'd go, oh, I'm just going to grab a glass of wine. So I think even like little practical things like that always really help me making sure that I've like had a sleep before I go to a party because if I'm tired that's when drunk people really annoy me so all of those like little practical things that you can do I think really help. Yeah and you know one thing I want to talk about is dating and the courage that comes with that with dating and you know getting to know somebody getting a little friendly like when Shane and I were first going out our very first night, I think the only reason I was like, I, I was making moves on you was because I, I knew I wanted to, but I also threw back a few whatevers to help me do that. Do you find, or did you ever go through a phase where dating became difficult? I, I, I thought in my head, it really was going to be, I thought it was going to be the worst thing in the world. And I thought everyone's reactions would be really negative as well. But you know, 99% of people I told actually were really positive about it. And so many people were actually initially impressed that you would have the confidence to go on a date sober. So even that was already like a good tick in the box. And, you know, I'd made sure that I told people up front, because I didn't want to get on a date and then tell them and then they kind of reacted weirdly. So I just thought for me, you know, if I tell them straight away, if they're not interested, that's absolutely fine. They're probably not the type of person I'm going to get on with anyway. So I was just really upfront. I like suggested that perhaps we did day dates a lot of the time. And then, you know, like practical things as well, activity based things, mini golf, anything where you're not like sat one on one opposite someone in a bar. And actually, I had like a lot of fun. So it, I thought it was going to be like setting myself on fire. And it actually was was semi okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to ask this question, but I've seen you answer it on YouTube. So I'm not feeling like a total weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> but did you feel pressure or or did you think it would be hard to get your freak on uh, sober? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've written a whole uh, chapter in the book about sober sex, so I have spoken about it many times. So I, I'm open <laughs> okay, to the question. Good. But yeah, I, I think that was an initial worry. And I think, like I say, it kind of did change for me. I waited until I felt really comfortable with someone. It wasn't that like initial thing. I mean, a lot of people still do and encourage to them. But I, I kind of like waited a bit until I felt more comfortable with people. And that was one thing that kind of changed. But I was kind of happy about that because I wasn't really happy about some of the moves that I was making when I was drinking. So that kind of felt more important to me. And from a clip I was watching you, you were saying that orgasms are actually better sober. I guess the desire might be higher, but the feeling is the sensation is better when you're sober, correct? Yeah. Even even the desire, I think, like is quite in our head, but actually performance doesn't always live up to the Mm -hmm. desire, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a good Shakespeare quote about it. I won't quote it because I know that I'll misquote it, but it's it's basically about provokes the desire, but, you know, takes away the kind of performance element. And I think it is very true, like how... I talk about it in the book as well, like even the cliche things of like the, the the intimacy and, you know, the nice moments and all that kind of stuff can be missed sometimes when mm-hmm. you're drinking. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's easier to self-lubricate when you're sober, all these like fun things, orgasms are stronger. Um, it, yeah, it's just 
all round beneficial to have sober sex, basically. So is the Shakespeare quote from Macbeth? I think it might be actually. It's like it makes it a Mars hymn. I don't want to do the exact quote. No, they they it. have something like that in Macbeth. But then it, there is science behind that too, right? Like it's not just experiential on your end, but it is science based that sex is could be better sober. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of like scientific things about it. Yeah. How basically there's a lot of a lot of chemicals involved and even so like orgasms are actually based in your brain rather than your genitals so because of the way that alcohol affects the brain it's kind of harder to orgasm so that's, so that's why it's like the performance isn't always as good so what has been the hardest part for you or especially in the early phases uh, adjusting to sober life yeah I think one of the hardest bits actually which I didn't even kind of consider when I stopped drinking is that I would have so I think like as as an adult, I'd kind of any negative emotion, whether that was like stress, heartbreak, grief, loss, a, like bad day at work, I had kind of numb, taken the edge off, suppressed with alcohol. So then for the first time in my adult life, I suddenly had all these emotions to deal with. And I didn't know how to deal with them. I didn't know how to deal with a stressful mm-hmm. week at work. I didn't know how to deal with loss because I had just always reached for a drink or gone out and partied or blacked out and all of a sudden I kind of had all these emotions to deal with. So I had to start thinking about like, oh, healthier coping mechanisms and here's how I need to learn to relax and taking time for myself and self-care and all these things that I had never done. I thought it was just going to be, you know, I'll stop drinking and I'll feel amazing. But it wasn't the case. It was, oh, I feel really good. But also like where are all these emotions coming from? Like one minute I was crying, one minute I was really happy. And I was like, I just don't know how to kind of regulate these. So that was one of the the hardest I think the hardest things I would say but also other people I would say is one of the things that I get from most other people and in my experience I was on the whole quite lucky but there are still reactions from other people that make you question whether you're doing the right thing so like at the moment they've kind of announced in the UK that our lockdown is going to be pretty much lifted on the Mm -hmm. 21st of June like life will kind of go back to normal and already there's like memes galore of you know can you imagine how drunk everyone's going to be on the 21st of June and and sometimes it's like society and other people's reactions and all those kind of things that are really tricky to navigate because you feel like you're missing out on this kind of cultural event almost so so that is the other hardest thing I would say when you first became sober was it like okay I'm cutting out alcohol but I'll still smoke weed or I don't know chew mushrooms I don't know what people do or did you cut out everything or do you still or do you smoke weed I'm not sure if you ever even did smoke weed no I didn't actually it wasn't really a big thing for me although I mean this is how hardcore I am when I stopped drinking alcohol I took up caffeine I'd never really been a coffee drinker before and then all of a sudden I was like well I need to get my kick some way so I started drinking shed loads of coffee so that was the only other thing I did I tipped the balance that way quite not hardcore at all (laughs) I'm finding even negative effects from caffeine I find if I have three coffees I get a little unhinged what about you yeah, that's uh, caffeine is actually my next thing to go. So for the last couple of days, I've actually been trying to drink decaf and herbal tea. I go through periods of like 
caffeine sobriety almost but I say it's ridiculous because when I was drinking I used to do like triple vodka rebels at like 3 a.m <laughs> with no regard for yes. my sleep and now I'm like oh 6 p.m shouldn't have a caffeine because I will not sleep so it's just yeah you you kind of I think as well when you cut out alcohol you're more sensitive to other things you notice things in your body more so I think as soon as I have a bit of caffeine I, I really mm-hmm. notice it do you think that you'll ever have another drink again in your life. I found when I had children, I became a way more responsible drinker. That's obvious. But I feel like I shouldn't have drank in my 20s, but I'm okay to drink in my 30s. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I I don't think I will, only because it sounds really cliche, but there's not one part of my life that hasn't improved by not drinking, Mm -hmm. whether that's like physical health, mental health, clarity, finances, productivity, like absolutely everything has improved. And I just don't think I would want to gamble and (laughs) give that a shot just to have a drink. And, you know, there are so many good alternatives now. So if I was going to go back to drinking, it's because I would want to get really, really drunk. Because if I was just going to have one or two, I might as well just have two non-alcoholic beers. That's that's how it feels to me. And I just don't think I'll ever throw the dice just, just for the sake of it. I think everything good I have in my life now is built on the foundation of not drinking. So I I think that will continue forever. And do you feel confident enough in yourself that, you know, you wouldn't break that sobriety for something or or do cravings still hit and do you still kind of struggle with wanting to pick up a bottle of wine or a beer? Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's like cravings for the alcohol. The only time I ever get like a craving is like if I'm really, really stressed and I'm like, I just want to shut down my brain. But going for alcohol for me it would be the quick fix but it is very false economy alcohol like it it says it decreases anxiety but you just get that anxiety the next day so it's not it's not like a good solution so it's just a a very quick fix so I really try and push myself to go for the like longer things I know are actually going to make me feel better so I'm very lucky that over the last three years I've put together what I like to call a sober toolbox of like things that I know are going to help me with cravings I have met some like amazing sober best friends so I will reach out to them and be like look I'm having these thoughts is that weird and then we're like no that's normal here's what I did so like getting that kind of sober toolbox together I think is so important and that can comprise of people podcasts books Mm -hmm. anything and when it comes to you know you talk about sober friends when it comes to dating I don't know if you're single if you're attached but would you date somebody who did drink in moderation or, you know, a lot? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I have a partner now. Um, he is, I would describe as sort of sober curious. I always say, I don't think I could be with like a really, really heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. That would be, I think, quite hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who goes out partying all the time. So, yeah, I do feel very lucky in that sense. But I've always said it's it's more important to me that the person respects my sobriety rather than is sober themselves. And I even say, like, when people are trying to find perhaps maybe sober friends, because if their friends kind of haven't reacted positively to it, when they try and find sober friends, they don't always come up trumps. I say, or, you know, maybe look for people who are kind of like more aligned with your new lifestyle. So maybe find like a hiking group or a walking group or you know, people who do things that they probably don't drink until 3am because they have to get up and do these things at 9am. So it's more important to me that someone is kind of aligned with my lifestyle than necessarily this one lifestyle choice that I've made. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what are what are some misconceptions you feel that there are about people who are sober living? Like I went on a date once with a man and we were out for dinner and 
during dinner, he goes, what do you want to drink? And I was like, well, do you want to get a bottle of wine? He said, actually, I don't drink. And it kind of threw me for a loop. And I wasn't expecting that. So I was just like, no, I'll have a water. And then all these things started going on in my head. I was younger too. I was like 24. But I started thinking about all these things. And most of them were, oh, he's probably been through a lot. Oh, blah, blah, blah. But do you still find that you're met with misconceptions? And what are the most common ones? Yeah, I, I think there are so many misconceptions. I mean, that being one of them, um, I kind of speak to so many people who don't drink for many, many reasons, whether that's health, whether they're trying for a baby, whether it's religious. There are so many reasons why people don't drink. Even if like we've had people come to us who have actually had a, a friend or a loved one who has died because of alcohol and that's why they don't drink. So it's nothing to even do with their relationship with alcohol. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, you know, that everyone who doesn't drink has had some kind of cataclysmic rock bottom. Mm. Um, and then I think, you know, the main one is that sober people are boring. That's that's the biggest misconception you get. We, you know, equate drinking with fun so much. So that that is also one of the other ones, you know, boring, weird, I sometimes get. But I still like to think I'm really, really fun. So that is definitely a misconception. And I think it's just like what we find fun as well. I don't mm-hmm. find drinking fun, but there's so many other things that I find fun, like that's that's one version of fun so I would say that is probably a misconception and probably the last one is that we're like you know converted angels who then want to convert everyone else and we're vegan and we love yoga like I will still eat a Domino's pizza I do you know I don't have the best diet in the world I'm not super like clean and healthy and that's I think one biggest misconception and also like that we're that we're preachy and we want to convert everyone. It, it makes no difference to me if people want to change their relationship with alcohol or not. If they do, I'm here. I'm happy to give advice, but I'm not trying to change the world like the way the world thinks mm-hmm. about, you know, your individual drinking. I just want to change the collective mindset on non-drinkers. OK, Millie, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. And as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. Nothing feels better than when I know I'm about to take my first sip of Seedlip. It's refreshing, it is consequence-free, and it is delicious. Yeah. And what did Millie call it? You don't get the beer guilt? Oh, did she say that? She calls it something like that. Yeah. It, well, for I, if she did say that, that is absolutely accurate. I know everything I'm doing. I'm going to have a clear head in the morning and a little bit of a subconscious relaxed buzz feeling still. Absolutely. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every kind of drinker. Seedlip has three variants. That's Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42. They're all alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, like the ones you'll find in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. And I would like to basically say happy one year anniversary to us discovering Seedlip because it was about this time last year. Congrats. 
Yeah, congrats to us <laughs> and to Seedlip for finding their two biggest fans. But if you want to see what this is all about, go to seedlipdrinks.com and use promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and promo code thisfamilytree10. But we are also supported by... Tushy. Shane, the future of toileting has arrived. I'm excited. All right, it's technically been around for centuries, but hideously expensive, costing thousands. And now, with the new Hello Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment, the playing field can finally be leveled. It's stylish, it's eco-friendly, it's easy to install, and it's affordable, which is most important. I can officially say Tushy has changed my life, and I do mean for the better. Oh my goodness. I When we go to the cottage, someone had DM'd us, oh, you must be so upset you're not with your Tushy. They were dead on the money, but we have a travel tushy. Thank God. And it it is great. (laughs) Is it as good as the real tushy? No, but it's still great. And the Hello Tushy 3.0 doesn't just cleanse your butt with a precise stream of water, which is what we love about ours, but this one cleans itself before and after each use with the Smart Spray automatic self-cleaning nozzle. So basically, it's just like a fancier tushy that just does more, works harder. It's like the first tushy was Terminator 1. This is Terminator 2 arguably the best sequel of all time. And it attaches to your existing toilet, requires no electricity or additional plumbing, and cuts toilet paper use by 80%. So the Hello Tushy bidet pays for itself in a few months. It really does. And because with Hello Tushy, you don't wipe at all. You just poop spray dry and go so you pat dry you pat dry you only need a couple squares and with this sanitation is simple the schmutz shield actual terminology offers easy cleaning and the knobs are naturally antimicrobial so if you already got a tushy on your pot we suggest upgrading to the new 3.0 model which is what we want to do and if you're new to the revolution join millions of happy hello tushy customers right now and have a clean butt with every flush my favorite part personally is the lack of toilet clogs on shane's behalf so go to hellotushy.com slash this family tree to get 10 percent off your order and free shipping on the tushy bidet which is only 79 dollars this offer is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree. Save that money, save that toilet paper, change your life. And now let's get back to our interview with Millie. So another assumption that I've, you know, possibly stupidly held in the past is that people who are sober feel a slight superiority over drinkers. So can you myth bust that right now? Yeah, 100%. I feel no superiority <laughs> whatsoever. And it doesn't bother me. All my friends drink, all my family drinks, like what I'd say, my boyfriend drinks. So I'm always around drinkers. Mm-hmm. I don't feel morally superior to them. If anything, sometimes I'm like, it's annoying that you can just drink some of you like normal people. And like, I've got friends who don't even get anxiety. They will go out, I will see them so drunk. And the next day I'm like, how are you feeling? They're like, oh yeah, I'm absolutely fine. I'm like, how? How does that happen to you? So like that isn't a thing at all. I think a lot of people in like the kind of space that I'm operating would like to change the stigma around non-drinking, would like to make, you know, if it would be nice if bars were more sober inclusive, it would be nice if they offered non-alcoholic options. It would be nice, you know, if you could go to like a sports event and there was non-alcoholic drinks. Those are kind of things that we want. We don't want to change everyone in the world for them to become sober. Yeah, and you've mentioned a few times in this conversation hangxiety or hangover anxiety what is that yeah so hangover anxiety is well it's got many different names so you've got like the fear beer fear 
in Australia, they call it Boozenoya. Uh, in Finland, they call it Morkis, which means moral hangover. We don't have any word for this in Canada you that not. I'm aware of. No. So, like, when you wake up the next day and you get that, like, dread of uh, who did I speak to? What did I say? Guilt. What did I do? Yeah. Drinking guilt, alcohol guilt. Alcohol guilt. Yeah. So, that's what we call hangxiety. So, it's just hangover anxiety meshed together. But it's kind of like twofold. So there is actual like chemical reactions that go on in your brain. So the easiest way to describe it is like putting a plug in the bath. So if you're like trying to stop your anxiety when you drink, it will put that plug in. But then in the morning that will come like full flowing out and you will get like a spike in, well, you get a spike in glutamate and that causes you to feel really anxious. Mm. So you first of all get that kind of like chemical regulation. But then the second part to it is the whole, if you have blackouts, so if you've ever suffered from like a period of not remembering either parts or most of your night, you will have those memory gaps of what did I do? I don't remember speaking to that person. What did I say to that person? So that is like your added layer. So when you combine the two of them, that's why your anxiety is so bad. So that's where hangover anxiety comes from. And I have a question. So for anybody who is sober, curious, who are listeners of ours or you know, if you're going out and just say I'm going out and I had to deal with friends who were trying to peer pressure me into drinking, what advice might you give me to help, you know, stand up to those to those pressures? Yeah, I think the more honest you can be, the better if you feel like you can be honest in that situation, because, you know, if you say I'm on antibiotics, they will say, oh, which ones you can drink on those ones. And, you know, if you say I'm driving, people will say, leave your car here. I'll come and we'll come and get it in the morning. So, if you just say, look, I'm, and you don't have to put any time frames on it. You could just say, look, I'm not drinking at the moment. It's really not agreeing with me. I'm really not feeling good after it, but you know, I'm still going to come out. I'm still going to have fun. I'm still going to celebrate. So I'd like really appreciate if you kind of just like left it for now, then most people kind of respond in a positive, like in a positive way. It's when you kind of, you know, aren't very strong in that decision. And you just say, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to drink or I'll think about it. Then people are like, oh, okay, I can test them. I can push them a bit. If you're really strong about it and say, look, I'm not drinking at the moment, then I think people kind of like back off a bit more. Mm -hmm. How was your relationship with alcohol when you were in your teenage years? For me, I didn't drink at all. And then when I did, it was way too much. Um, And how did your parents speak to you about alcohol when you were growing up? Yeah, so interestingly, I was a real late bloomer to alcohol. So uh, especially in British terms, I would say, because people will start drinking here very early teens. But I turned 18 just before I went to uni. And that's like our legal drinking age here. So I hadn't really drunk as a teenager. And then I went to university and because that was kind of like the place that I learned to drink, I think that's why my drinking just went from like zero to a hundred because I'd never even had like a glass of wine at dinner or like a couple of pops at a party. I had gone from not drinking at all to binge drinking as a student three, four, five nights a week. So Shane asked about your how your parents addressed alcohol with you. So did you guys talk about that ever? Or like what what was the what were the rules about alcohol in your house? There weren't really any rules, to be honest. I don't remember it. It wasn't particularly strict or I never really got lectures about it. I think it's because most parents, I think, would probably feel they give that conversation when they think their child is going to drink because I wasn't really into it. I don't think my mum ever felt the need to have that conversation with me. But then when I went to uni and I came back and I would drink uh, kind of throughout the summer, 
she did really become a bit worried about my drinking then so she would try and talk to me about it but at that point I think I already thought I was an adult so I kind of didn't really listen to anything that she had to say but you know I know a lot of other kind of like mums in this space and and sober mums who talk to their kids about drinking and are quite um on the kind of realms of like harm reduction so like look if you're going to do it this is what I advise that you do so you know like always call me if you're ever worried like no matter what trouble you're in like always call me um you know here's other places that you can call if you don't want to speak to me make sure you eat before you know all the kind of rules of harm reduction because you know if you tell kids not to do something they'll probably do it so harm reduction is like a big thing Right. Yeah. I'm so scared for my daughters to begin drinking. I think 18 to 25, it it shouldn't even be legal almost. That's. Uh, but is there anything in particular besides harm reduction that you'll be trying to say to your children if you ever end up having children? Yeah, I think just like information. I feel like if you give them all the information, what alcohol is, not just alcohol, but other drugs, um, what they do to your brain, to your body, um, just so that they've got as much information as possible, but in a really like direct and honest way. Mm-hmm. I think the more honest you are with kids, the more they're going to appreciate that rather than, you know, I wouldn't put like a no drugs and alcohol rule in the house because I think that that's only going to drive them to want to be interested in it. So, and probably just tell them my story as well, because I think that being honest and saying, look, this is what happened with me, just like a word of warning. But I think just always keeping that door open of if this ever happens, if you're ever struggling, I want you to talk to me about it rather than, you know, making it a big shame thing and a big secret because I mean, that is also probably one of the stigmas around drinking and drinking problems is there is such a like a shame and a stigma about it. And people don't talk about it when they are struggling as much because they don't they don't I, in terms of like a lot of people don't want to talk about it because they're worried about their jobs. If they say I've got a drinking problem, you know, will, will I lose my job? Will I lose my kids? So a lot of people don't talk about drinking problems. So that's another kind of one of the things that we want to break down and especially the fact that drinking problems don't come in one shape or form there's loads of different types so just leaving that door open and saying look if you're ever struggling with drinking or any other kind of substances like please come to me Mm -hmm. and so what is the sober girl society that you lead and how does that you know help that community yeah so when I stopped drinking I kind of like scoured the internet for people like me because my friends were supportive but they, they didn't get it. I couldn't talk to them about sober dating or non-alcoholic wine. Mm. There was kind of like a few people on the internet talking, but there didn't seem to be like a kind of shared community. So I thought, well, I know how to use Instagram. So I started Sober Girl Society and it then kind of blossomed into this uh, virtual and real life events and space. So we do like bottomless, boozeless brunches. We do I mean, one of the things that a lot of people say holds them back from not drinking is the fact that they can't dance without a drink. So we do dance classes and teach people how they can sober dance and, you know, unleash their inner diva. So we do like a lot of things like that. We do a lot of, you know, you just come and you chat to other women and you meet other women and you share their stories. Because at the start of my journey, I didn't really feel like AA was for me. I know a lot more about it now, but at the start, I had real kind of like preconceived notions of the type of person who went to AA. And I didn't feel like that was for me. So we're not kind of like a recovery program, but we just offer that space to come and share and meet other like-minded women. No, that is so important because there are so many people, and I know you talk about the sober curious a lot. There are so many people who just want to know that those options are out there, whether it's you know, like we talk about seed lip and we love it whether you're not drinking for the night or for forever. And I think 
activities like that and meeting people like that is such an amazing community for people. So for our listeners that do want to check that out, where can they go to see the Sober Girl Society or get your book, things like that? The Instagram is just at Sober Girl Society and we have a website which is just SoberGirlSociety.com and the book is called The Sober Girl Society Handbook so you can get that on Amazon um, and I'm sure there's probably other bookstores in, in Canada that you can get it. I'll actually have to investigate that for you. <laughs> and how long did it take you to write the book? What was your process like? I actually had a six-month deadline on it, but mm-hmm. I I say I was actually not lucky, but I, I got my book deal in like February and then my uh, deadline was kind of end of July. And I really started to panic because I didn't think I was going to get it right then. And I'd had loads of stuff planned between Feb and July. So I had a couple of hen mm-hmm. parties. I actually got called up for jury service and was like, what if I have to do jury service for six months? When am I going to write this That's book? The worst. And then all of a sudden, the world just started shutting down. So all my hen parties got cancelled. I had a trip to Sweden I was going on and my jury service got completely cancelled because of COVID. So for six months, literally every single day, I just woke up, wrote, went to bed, woke up, wrote, went to bed for like six whole months. So I actually don't think there would have been a book if there had of not been COVID because I just don't know when I would have written it. Yeah. So you you would schedule out time and just say, no matter what, I'm going to write during this time? Or would you wait for inspiration because you had the time to let it come to you? No, I'd kind of planned out exactly how the book was going to look and the chapters. So I kind of knew what direction every kind of chapter was going in when I was writing it, because it's a very kind of practical self-help book. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the chapters are quite structured. So I kind of knew. So every day, because I didn't really have anything else to do, I would just write. So I would kind of say, well, I'm going to get this chapter done in these two weeks. I'm going to get this chapter done here. And then I'm going to go over, add anything else, because you know, as you go along, you think of new things and, and people will say, oh, can you speak about this on Sober Girl Society? And you think, well, actually, that'd be really good mm-hmm. for the book. So it kind of, you know, changes and then you send it off and you get more back and then it kind of evolves as the process goes on. But I, I just didn't have anything else to do but write. So I would literally get up, write, go to sleep. And that was kind of my life for six months. I, I got to say, I'm jealous about that time I'm trying to write currently and it's hard to find time but Millie before we go you have to show me your favorite thing that is currently on your non-alcoholic drink trolley oh I mean look I'll take you over to the the trolley oh actually I don't know if I can because I've got my podcast mic but I'll um that's the trolley over there oh Oh, nice let me go hang on let me grab one heck yeah I I just want to learn more this this looks like heavy duty booze right here Yeah, they all look like these. So this is Juniper. So this is like an, it's like a non-alcoholic spirit, a bit like Seedlip, but it's really good. And I just love the branding. I don't know if you can yeah, see it. Yeah, no, that's nice. Cool. Mountains there. The colors are nice. What's it taste yeah. like? It's really lovely, actually. It's, um, it is a bit like Seedlip, but I just think it's got like a bit of a different saltier punch, if mm-hmm. that makes okay. sense. Yeah. So I like to, I like to alternate. So I've got through quite a bit of that. Um, but there's there's a lot on there actually, so yeah, that's it's definitely the, the category is expanding. Well, that's amazing. And Millie, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We really love this conversation. If our listeners want to go check you out, did I did I do this? Where they can find her? Say it again. Sometimes Where, they need a reminder. It's true. Where can they go to find <laughs> you online? Um, so it's at Sober Girl Society or SoberGirlSociety.com. 
Amazing. Perfect. And what about you, Millie Gooch? Or do you give that? At Millie Gooch, yeah, you can come over to my personal platform. You can see me talking about my dog or going for walks, which isn't that interesting, but you might want to come over. And that's a real name, Millie Gooch. It is, yeah, unfortunately. No, no that's a I cool like name. I was reading I was <laughs> yeah. reading your book. I didn't know this and it said it's the it's at the part of a man's testicles or something that you Gooch. You didn't know that? No. That's what a gooch the part is. Between the testicles and the anus. In I didn't know yeah. that. That's a very. I thought it was such a cool name. I still do. <laughs> Apparently, it was coined by jackass. the The real technical name for it is the perineum. Yes, yes, that's what I was always yeah. calling it. Yes. Apparently, they called it the gooch, and then it just stuck. And then I told my mum, and now she won't book restaurants in her name because she's too embarrassed. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Well, that's not lucky. Well, hopefully that term comes out of favor because I do think it's a cool name. I do too. But yes. Yeah, Millie, thank you so much. It was a really enlightening talk and wish you all the best with your book and with the Sober Girl Society. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, you have a great night. Take care, nice meeting you. Thanks, bye. Bye Bye-bye. But that was Millie and I loved that chat. Thank you so much, Millie, if you're listening. But now is the time. It's time. It's a very special time. It's a time where Alex answers listener questions. I kind of kick my feet back, add in my two cents, and you've done research. I do research. So these are real answers. This isn't just Alex kicking it off the top of the dome. She's actually going to enlighten anyone who's submitting who's submitting a question who's submitting a question yes that's how i wanted to say that (laughs) well first of all i just want to say thank you so much to everybody who submits questions or topics every single week it makes the show better and we truly love hearing from you if you're a listener and you've never submitted a question but you're always like hmm i wonder what their thoughts are on this do it do it we want to know what you're thinking we want to talk about what you want us to talk about don't be shy hit us up and we want to include include your stuff on the pod would you say you're smitten when they're submitting i'm smitten when you're submitting so do it let's hear a question next question first question do you take turns planning date nights we have two kids and i'm always the one initiating and planning do you have any ideas how to solve this oh that's what erica from uh mom break she does she does that so yeah wow how how fitting (laughs) this worked out well but we don't no for us because our date nights are structured, because we do the podcast first, we do dinner, we know what we're going to do with the wine, there really isn't any planning involved. Yeah, and because it's so limited, the things you can do, I would think, okay, we can play games or, I don't know, maybe just choose which game mm-hmm. it is. But as far as planning, we just have a structure to it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And here's the thing. I know how annoying it can be. And it can even seem like a lot of work when you're sitting there being like, oh, well, what do you want to eat tonight? I don't know. What do you want to eat tonight? And that conversation can go on for so long. It gets tiring. And it I can worked take... hard last night. What'd no. you do? <laughs> Decided dinner. Pizza no. Hut. Shane, it's... It's annoying. And sometimes you get annoyed at me if you're like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want? And then it just goes back and forth like a ping pong. And it's frustrating. I was only mad for like a couple of days. (laughs) But if that is even your situation, we're all in this, you know, stupid quarantine situation. If that is even the source of it and you want that to be taken care of, because I know like as a mom or just as anybody who's doing a lot during the day, how nice it feels to kind of just have, even if you're getting takeout, to have everything sorted out. So take turns like Erica from Mom Break does. You take this week, your husband takes next week and just alternate. You figure out dinner on those nights. You figure out the games you're going to play and you have you know everything set up nice so that when they're done helping to put the kids to bed or work in or whatever they come down and there's the setup. And then if you kind of model that so I suggest you go first and if you model the lead you want them to take then it'll give them a better idea of what to do 
the following week. And yeah, you can like slip them ideas or whatever, but I'd say alternate. Erica, that was an awesome idea that she had. And I, I say go with that. Yeah, but you are setting yourself up to be disappointed. Why is that? One week, like Erica was saying, you're going to expect something because mm-hmm. you are going to try to outdo each other in the beginning. Yeah. And then one week, you're someone's going to forget. It's going to be last minute. And you're going to be a little disappointed. Whereas the way we do it, the only way you can get disappointed is if the energy isn't right. Mm-hmm. But it's never a blame game. Yep. So I do like the way we do it better. I would find a lot of unnecessary competition and pressure if we well, were doing it alternate weeks. But, so in, in, and by the way, the caveat here is during COVID times mm-hmm. where you can't go out. Yeah. But but this listener, you know, they're tired of planning it every week. So they want ways to Simple, get their husband maybe, in, involved. And I think that's fine. But streamlining the process could be the mm-hmm. answer. What do you mean? Well, making it like like how we do, where it's streamlined. Where there's a plan every single week that it runs like clockwork. And I'd say, like, if you don't want to be the one to choose the dinner, to set up the games, whatever, tell your husband day of, so there's no forgetting, say day of or day before, honey, you're going to take care of date night tonight. And then you really, you just work it out whenever, like every second week, you tell them day of, honey, you're going to take care of our date night tonight. It would really help me out a lot if you did this, or I'd really appreciate it if you did this. And then, and then there you go. It's on him. You get a date night. There's no hard feelings. In theory, I'm just worried about fights brewing. Oh, fights are always brewing. They can brew over anything. You're locked in a house together with somebody, you know. Can they brew over brews? (laughs) Okay, next question. My little one is 13 and a half months and I just found out I'm pregnant. How do I prepare for a toddler? I'm still breastfeeding. First of all, congratulations. That is awesome. That must be stressful. 13 and a half months is young. You know, Lucy was 18 months, still young. I think when you're doing two under two, it's always going to be a thrill and there's going to be like exciting stress in some way. But there's a lot of ways you can prepare your toddler and of course do everything based on where they are developmentally what they understand every kid is so different so it gets easier once your belly begins to grow and then you can allow your toddler to start making like a physical and an emotional connection with your baby while they're still in your tummy so whether that is singing to it kissing it good night giving it hugs you know get taking their hand and putting it over the kicks when kicks happen you can include your child in your pregnancy in that regard and I know that helped us with Lucy like every night when I put Lucy to bed she'd sing to baby Betty she'd kiss baby Betty goodnight and I have these videos of it and it's the cutest thing ever and it was really sweet and it gave her more understanding of what was happening if they're having trouble making that connection you can show them pictures of you when they were in your tummy and you can explain that to them like oh this is when I was pregnant with you this is before you came and when you were living in my tummy just like baby so and so is right now and if you can tell your child a name for the baby that would help too because it just gives them something kind of concrete to think about and to picture right yeah so aside from that you know you could buy books that talk about introducing new babies to families there's so many check them out online just do a simple google search you'll find awesome ones shane you liked reading what was the one you liked reading to lucy big sister oh um best big sister okay something like that (laughs) (laughs) just google big and sister best big sister um it's about being a good big sister there you go anyways it's a real page turner (laughs) and uh yeah we read it every night and you know what i never Mm. got sick of it Lucy, on the other hand, honestly, I would be reading it and Lucy would just like to hear it in the background while she was playing. So I would just be reading it and she would use it just as background noise. 
But she would insist. If I didn't read it, she would, she would lose her mind. Mm-hmm. So you have to just read it to appease her. And you know, it's good. And here's the thing. Even if it's background, it's still going to be background. This kind of giving them subliminal messages oh, to prepare them. Oh, she knows it inside them. and out. And anytime she was not being nice to Betty, I would reference it. I'd be like, are you being a good big sister? Because it's like, I'm a big sister. Look what I can do. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada. Some rhyme. <laughs> and it's about it, it, in the book, the girl helps out her sister by handing the parents wet night not wet naps what are you used yeah, to clean the yeah, butt wet naps like um those are wet wipes. we call them wipes i don't know wipes wet wipes wet wipes yeah wet naps are what you get with wings yeah <laughs> we should save those though that would be good for running low yeah no uh anyhow you know in regards to singing and involving the toddler in your pregnancy and i had lucy being so sweet to my little baby betty in my belly every night so i was thinking i'm like oh my gosh when the baby gets here it's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be simpatico. It's not going to be a learning curve. Lo and behold, you need to prepare yourself and your partner for any reaction that your toddler could have. Because- oh, Lou just cold cock <laughs> Betty with a set of brass knuckles. Where she got them from, I don't know. But within two minutes, she was like slapping Betty. No, she, she loved Betty the first day we brought her home. She lost interest the second day. And then by the third day, she was weirded out. Lucy started having lots of tantrums. She wasn't into it. It took... A few months before she was giving her kisses goodnight and things like that. And now she's way better, but still gets kind of frustrated with her. But you just, you have to prepare yourself for any reaction because you have to know you could have the sweetest kid, but it's a huge change for them, especially when they're as young Mm -hmm. as they are. You know, they're around two years old. That's a hard thing to get used to. We have this little hippo toy that's safe for Betty to play with. And today I was like, oh, Lucy, could you give the toy to Betty? Mm -hmm. Lou picked up the hippo and chucked it at her and went here. No, she didn't. Yeah. It was like scary. That's awful. I know. See, she's been so good with those toys Lately, she's been actually handing it to her and like been so good about it. Oh no, this was a near miss though. Oh geez, Louise Shane, I hope you told her what's what. I said, don't throw hippos <laughs> in my house, Missy. <laughs> and one thing that I would recommend, so even in pregnancy, it can get really hard. Like I had a really hard time; I couldn't lift Lucy up towards the end of my pregnancy. But if you could stick to your little one's routine as much as possible, it'll make it easier. You know, obviously, if your partner can be around, that's not always the case. Because then you can work together like as a team and you can set clear responsibilities for each of you to tackle, whether it's for at the end of your pregnancy or when the new baby's there. But the more your older kid can stick to the same morning routine, lunch, dinner times, bath time, bedtime, whatever, it'll be easier for them to adjust to having that new brother or sister in the house. And you know, it'll make them feel as important as they always have because they always do those same things. They always have that time with you. And of course, you know, we've had big little feelings on this podcast a couple of times. Their one kind of golden rule that we abide by and we love is the 10 minute miracle. If you can get 10 minutes, not on your cell phone, not with any other sibling, any other parent, one-on-one time with your kid, it helps so much. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel loved. And that's what I'd say, you know, start doing that in your pregnancy and continue it even when the baby comes. What are you doing? That's disgusting. No? You're DJing your <laughs> nose with the snot noise? No? When you've never done that. Oh shit, I have, an, I have an itch on the inside of my nose. I was trying to itch it by rubbing the skin. We have a question from neighbor Sherry. 
Neighbor Sherry across the street says, would you do more home decor and reno videos? I would love to see them. (laughs) I feel like I feel like Sherry just hates the way our house looks. She's like, oh, maybe you could spruce up the outside of your house. That would be nice to see. We do not have a green thumb. We are not good gardeners. Our house is falling apart. It's not falling apart. Alex. Shane, I fixed that today. How? You can go look. I fixed it. I asked how. I just popped it back in. Okay. Lucy helped me and we high-fived after. And she was running around like this, actually running, jumping, pushing her hands in the hair in the air, saying, we fixed the house. We fixed our house. It was very mm. cute. Anyhow, Sherry, I would love to do more home renos and home decor stuff. The word Listeners, more seems to be something Well, I painted a couple things, babe. Oh, I see. And, you know, all I got to say to that is, listeners... Keep giving us five-star ratings. Keep typing in those nice comments and, you know, maybe eventually we'll be able to afford more home renos. Is that how it works? That seems like a stretch. Well, everything contributes, Shane. So if we get more good press from the people that already listen to us, then maybe, you know, we'll be able to get good press from even more people. Then everybody's listening to us. Next question, please. (laughs) If you could live anywhere as a family, where would it be? Ooh, I I think I always say PEI. Where where's the place? I every East Coast place I call PEI. <laughs> where is the place I want to live? Tell me. Well, I think Nova Scotia or PEI. Okay, then one of those or Hawaii. That'd Hawaii. Be cool. That'd be cool. That would be cool. See, I always like when I saw this question in my head, everything gets so romantic, and I'm like, oh, picture my family in like you know an Italian villa or whatever, you know, running on the sides of mountains, crushing grapes with our feet, doing all this fun Italian stuff. Then I'm like, when you think about it, I wouldn't want to live anywhere other than Canada because we have good health care. In regards to the rest of the world, I think we're doing okay in Canada and I'm grateful for that so I want to live here and you know we get to experience the four seasons and everything it's four seasons contracting right for <laughs> no what, what was that place yeah that the Trump four seasons to? contracting yeah yeah but uh yeah I'd live right where we do or I also put down somewhere on the east coast like I could live on PEI I could live in Nova Scotia I'd be so happy PEI would be beautiful on PEI it's an, it's an island oh, okay yeah live on the island okay I just never heard it that way. I could live on PEI. Well, I guess right. Could live in on PEI, Hamilton. whatever. Okay. Yeah, Hamilton's not an island. I don't know. Live on Hawaii. You'd say live in Hawaii. So I guess I could live in PEI. There. Done. Okay. What is your guilty, embarrassing pleasure? Alex, you've thought about this. You have it written Okay. <laughs> I bet I love drinking milk straight from the carton. Oh, me too. That's, and I always that's try to do it when you're not looking because I didn't know if you did it too or if you'd be grossed out. So I'll always open up the fridge door on the one side and hide behind it, drink it out of the carton because it is so refreshing for some reason. Like I'm talking, we have this almond, it's half almond and half coconut milk and it's just so tasty and so refreshing. And I will just take like gulps and gulps behind the fridge door hiding and then I'll like if I hear you coming in I like try to hide it like I wasn't doing anything I melt a lot of butter and put a lot of butter on things like, <laughs> I'll just put it in the microwave in a little bowl and then put the melted butter on anything so frosted I... flakes or Ooh. Nutella I like I like my favorite thing in the world is getting the first scoop of mm-hmm. a new Nutella oddly once the Nutella gets halfway and down I don't like it as much <laughs> But the first half of a jar of Nutella is amazing. See, I feel the same way, but about ricotta. Mm. Not in the sense that like when it gets halfway down, I don't like it. But I love getting the first scoop out of a tub of ricotta cheese. Mm-hmm. 
I love ricotta. Those who follow me on Instagram probably know that I post a lot of things, a lot of ricotta stuff, but yeah, love it. Next question. The recipe for a great wedding speech. Obviously, this is not directed to me because we spoke about our wedding speeches on date night a couple weeks ago. My wedding speech was garbage and I called Shane sexy in it. Uh, but Shane, your wedding speech was a total banger, a total home run. Yeah, but it was too long and borderline inappropriate. I would say the, po- <laughs> the best way to go is short and sweet and just make every word count. But keep it short. It doesn't need to be long. You don't got to do your autobiography. And keep the night moving. If you can get a laugh or a tear, you've won. And that's it. Don't try too hard, but don't not try at all. So wait, yeah, but is the math here like you're looking for a single tear and a single laugh, bare minimum, anything else is gravy? If you can get a laugh and a tear, you've won your speech. If you can get either, you've done really well. And if you can split the difference between your methodology, which was no prep, I'm going to wing it, with or mine, which was borderline ruining my week, my (laughs) wedding week leading up, and everything up to that moment— I think do a thoughtful, short speech where it's not so much to memorize that it's mm-hmm. like you can't concentrate on shaking your great grandfather's hand is going <laughs> to like the last time you're going to see him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no. So here's the thing. So I guess you want to go for a little bit of humor, lots, a little emotion or like equal parts humor and emotion. <laughs> how, many times, how can I say it clearly? Well, I'm just asking equal parts humor and emotion or should you lean heavy into the emotion whatever is you i'm Mm. just saying both are great if you can get both that's wonderful all right there you go good luck if you are looking to write one how do you tell your friends that if their kids are sick they shouldn't be hanging out with you and your kids so that's a tough thing you know like i get it as a parent and i'm going to talk about this as if we were not in COVID times but as a parent you could be at home doing the same thing every day or you're working and then you got to come home and take care of the kids and it gets tiring so it's like your kids got a runny nose from daycare or some kind of thing that they they picked up and it could be bad but you don't know but you know they're sick in some way and you just want to go out to that play date to get a break or have a coffee with another parent at the park while your kid plays i get that however it can be incredible incredibly selfish and insensitive to other people like you don't know how susceptible another kid is to picking something up you don't know how susceptible a parent is so it can be tough so you got to broach it in a nice way but you always have to be firm and like if you can set these boundaries in a parent and kid friendship early obviously that's best and just say hey like if there's a runny nose a slight cough whatever just cancel we'll get together another time so that it's comfortable for that person they don't have to feel like they're trying to like you know be sneaky and hide their kids runny nose or something but just always be open and a good way to do anything is to model it so if your kid has a runny nose your kid has a slight cough and you have something coming up just tell them say hey so and so might be sick we're gonna cancel reschedule for next week whatever then they kind of know where you stand on that and you know ideally they'll follow suit Uh, But yeah, as parents, just be cognizant about how other parents might feel and yeah, be firm. Always be firm. Pull an Eric Andre-esque stunt. And if their kid shows up like a little sneezy with a little runny nose, you show up at their next event 
with a wild running nose and like, hey, excuse me. Like, you just get up in everybody's face where it's borderline ridiculous. Start nope. coughing on people. And then they'll be like, oh, well, we, we shouldn't allow sick people around. And then all of a sudden, they'll be making the rules. No, I and like that it. is solid advice, and I stand by it. And Eric Andre movie was a very fun film. It's called Bad Trip. It was, oh, baby, it was pretty gross. Oh, I guess the gorilla has. Okay, yeah. All right, and he's a little trigger warnings too for his movie. All right, so the next question is fascinating. I would never have thought of this. It doesn't have to do really with parenting, but it does have to do with womanhood. What happens when women in prison get their periods? Are they given what they need? So I was looking it up. And I found a really interesting article on motherjones.com. So it talks about how in the U.S., and again, I'm only going to talk about the U.S. here, having your period in prison is kind of hell. So in this article, it talks about how women are the fastest growing incarcerated population. But in many states, they only offer these, like for free, these really cheap pads that don't stick or absorb well. And female prisoners often have to fashion their own like makeshift tampons out of bedding or clothes, toilet paper, whatever else that they can find. Some get sick from this and there have been documented cases of women suffering toxic shock syndrome after using like homemade toilet paper tampons in prison. And one woman in Maryland had to get an emergency hysterectomy because of this. So it's like, it's it's really awful and this comes down to just human rights. But there was a study done in Minnesota of prisoners, guards, and nurses in a women's prison. And this study found that 88% of women reported leaking blood onto their clothes because within a half hour, these pads just soak right through. And again, they don't stick well. 80% of the women used homemade tampons and 28% say they've had a vaginal infection in the last six months because of whatever other, you know, options they're trying to use. And in prisons, this is infuriating. A box of 18 pads with wings costs like better than the cheap ones, the free ones that they're given, but it costs $5.38 in the commissary and a box of tampons 20 tampons cost five dollars and 63 cents what's a good price well here's the thing prisoners in these prisons are generally making 750 a month doing prison jobs so they are essentially using their entire salary to buy sanitary pads or sanit you know tampons whatever and that is so depressing anyhow things are bad for women in prisons and their periods and i'm sure there are different directives that you can go to based on where you live to help out with this if this is something that interests you next is it okay to be sad or to cry in front of your kids what do you think shane yeah yeah, yeah. why not i i think uh showing them a wide range of emotions and and explaining explaining why you're sad and showing that everyone does get sad mm, so it's definitely okay to be vulnerable in front of your kids but the one thing that I found psychologists talking about online to be wary of is the frequency and the intensity of these moments and be sure to talk about it with your kids afterward. So when parents feel upset or they cry, they might be tempted or like they want to cry, they might be tempted to suppress these emotions, but definitely, you know, experience that with your kids because there are benefits. And like Shane said, it normalizes emotion, normalizes feeling sad and when you work at feeling better or fixing what it is that is making you upset, your kids can see that and you can model healthy coping, problem solving, and, you know, grieving even if that's the case. Yeah, I just say, daddy lost a very important video game. <laughs> but, you know, children will often be confused and afraid if they see their parents being really upset. And I remember like seeing my 
parents be upset about whatever when I was a kid and I got scared or I got nervous and I wanted to help them out in some way. So afterward, it's really important that you do your best to explain to your kid depending on their age and what they can understand that you had an emotional moment but that you're okay you're gonna figure out a way to be okay whatever just to kind of reassure them especially if they're very young and that is from child psychologist Jillian Roberts so she really stresses the importance of telling your kids that you know everything will be fine and yeah keep things age appropriate and be mindful of the intensity and especially if you're having frequent emotional episodes in front of your kids. So extreme out of control responses like hyperventilating or signs of extreme emotional distress, that can scare kids. So I'm thinking about extreme like when Shane sees a spider kind of extreme when Mm -hmm. he starts to really freak out. So try to do that. If you're capable of making decisions, try to do that out of view because again, you don't want to frighten your child, you know, frequently. But yeah, being emotional in front of your kids, it's great. Helps them to deal with their big feelings too. Last question. It's an interesting one. When are we going to see some merch? I'd like to drink my coffee out of a This Family Tree mug. Man, mug? Well, yeah, if we were to do merch, what do you think would be the merch to do? Uh, is I, mug the answer? Mug is great. We're parents. We drink lots of coffee. A lot of our listeners drink lots of coffee. I think it's appropriate. I have a rule. If you have a podcast, don't even start thinking about it till you're at episode 100. That's just a personal rule. I mean, hey, if you got a banger right out the gate, do it. But for me, the podcast doesn't begin till episode 100, and I like mugs, and I might start thinking about good mugs. Well, only I because also like hats. I love hats. See, only because this person said mug, I want to make them a mug. I don't know how I'd get it to them. Do we know this person? It's it's our number one listener. Number one listener. Who could it be? Miss hmm, Blondie. Yeah. Is it little Miss Blondie? I always... Real Miss Blondie. Yeah. In my mind, it's like a million things. But yeah, yeah I definitely love real Miss Blondie. And yes, I, she will be the first person to get a This Family Tree mug. I will ship it to Australia yep. myself. <laughs> well, that'd be fun. Like an excuse fun. to go on a vacation. We'd see Emma Oh, Wiggle. like you wouldn't ship it. Like we would like carry it on the yeah, plane we would and give it to it. her. Hell we got, yeah. We got Emma Wiggle down there. Yeah. Ben, ben Lee. I don't think he's down there. He moved down there with Ioni Sky. They moved down there like a month ago. To Australia? Yeah. Wow, okay. I think they moved to Sydney. So we got places to stay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Excuse me, Ben. (laughs) Because you know how when you have a guest on your podcast, they always say, oh, when you're in the neighborhood, come down. That's my Australian accent. (laughs) And we're always like, we are. But imagine we actually, like, because Emma Wiggle said we could stay at her place. Obviously, it was BS niceness. Maybe we could just stay with the goats, like in the goat pen. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) Go camping. Oh, we meant stay with the goats. You have to sleep with the goats. You can't be near me. And she keeps the six foot rule even after COVID's over just because she's so famous. (laughs) Well, there you go. There you have it. And uh, yeah, if you are listening, if we bring you even the slightest amount of joy or happiness, give us a farce. Give us a five star rating. And a farce. We greatly appreciate it. But yeah, Shane, that's all. Thank you for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 79.